Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. A warm up for the Welcome to Bumpy Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson. Now part of the Visa Family Podcast, we've got a tremendous podcast for you as... In segment number two, one of our favorites, Matt Williams, over at the Game Day MLB, is going to be joining me. We're going to be chatting with him about what he's taking a look at for the second half of the season, what sort of bets he might be targeting on. He's become a little bit less trustworthy about one thing in baseball. He's going to be dropping that. We're going to be talking about some of the teams that might be able to lend a little bit of value here in the second half of the season. Then we're going to dive into Saturday's games. In the final segment, I'm going to be getting you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Sunday as we touch them all. If you do have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we'll fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GNN underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters EM. Maybe does not matter, so as per usual, please send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you are able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Did not get in any Twitter questions today, but we had a great day of baseball on Saturday, and we've got some cleanup from the Friday games as well. So let's take a look back at everything that we've seen in the last about 28 or so hours in baseball. Try to find some trends and try to get to know that he seems a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Well, after I posted the podcast yesterday, because as I was doing this, the Rangers were, I believe, down 3-2 to two to, the, <laughs> to the Cleveland Guardians, and they won by a count of 12-4. to four. So they really put that one out of reach, as it'll just happen with the Walker Texas Rangers as a complete bullpen implosion. For the Guardians happened. Sam Hinton just gave up three runs without getting it out. Cody Morris gave up four runs in an inning, including three home runs. And then Yelde Los Santos gave up two runs in an inning with Corey Seager and Jonah Heim both getting their 13th home runs of the season. You also had Adolis Garcia in that span getting his 24th and then in a lower scoring game on Saturday. The Texas Rangers, they get a 2-0 win. Very good start here from Andrew Heaney. Five and a third innings to give up six hits, but wiggled out of it. Did not give up any runs. From there, Will Smith gets shaky with that five outside the bullpen. Or Aldous Chapman, scoreless inning. Grant Anderson, scoreless inning. And for Texas, 
They go just all four with Ben in scoring position, and they for Gavin Williams. You give up two runs of five innings on the road against Rangers. That's not a bad start. From there, you have Xavion Curry, Tim Heron, and Michael Kelly all end a scoreless inning, but nothing doing for the Cleveland Guardians. Eight hits, no runs for them. We saw the Detroit Tigers get it done on Friday by a count of five to four, as it was a relatively solid start for them. Out of Eduardo Rodriguez giving up two runs over the course of five innings. He did have Jason Foley give up a run in two-thirds of an inning. And Alex Lang did give up a solo run in the ninth inning to Mike Ford, his ninth home run season. But the Tigers got to Luis Castillo. Three runs surrendered in five innings, including a pair of home runs. As Akil Badu took him deep. Fourth home run season. So did Kerry Carpenter, his ninth. Phil Maton, he goes deep off of Ty Adcock. Seventh home run season. That was the first time Ty Adcock had given up runs all season long. Entered into Saturday with a 0-69 ERA. Two runs, one of which earned, give it up in his inning of work. Gabe Spire, a scoreless inning, and Taylor Sacito, Matthew Fessa. Confined for two scoreless innings on the bullpen. Meanwhile, Tyler Holton, four outside the bullpen, scoreless. Jose Cicerno, a scoreless inning as well for the Detroit Tigers. And then the Tigers laid on the Seattle Mariners on Saturday, 6-0. They're able to get the job done for Detroit. You had Michael Lorenzen turn six and two-thirds inning scoreless, giving up just two hits. Bo Brisky. Goes for far outside the bullpen scoreless. And then you get a scoreless inning as well out of Brendan White. Two home runs in this game for Gary Carpenter. So he's got three in the series. 10th and 11th home runs of the season. Both come off of George Kirby. You got destroyed, giving up those two home runs. Six runs in total over the course of five innings. From there, Taylor Saucedo fills two innings scoreless. Justin Topa coupled with Isaiah Campbell. Both were able to lend a scoreless inning. But nothing new on for the Seattle Mariners. Just three hits in this one. And Friday, we did see a 5-4 win from the Minnesota Twins. By the way, the Oakland A's did enter into Saturday, I believe, 21-10 and 10 in their last 31 games on the run line. This was another run line cover. Joey Gallo, he was the difference in the ninth inning, getting a home run off of Shintero Fujinami. His 16th home run season for Ken Waldachuk. He got the open, giving up three runs and three two-thirds innings. From there, you had a combined... Five outs out of the bullpen scoreless from Anel Felipe, Austin Pruitt, and Sammy Long. Lucas Ursedge gets five outs out of the bullpen scoreless. Sam Hall, he goes for a third of an inning, not giving up anything. And then Fujinami got five outs, but gave up that home run that turned out to be the difference. And for the Twins, Kenta Maeda only makes it three innings, giving up three runs. Bullpen from there was solid. Yuan Duran, he did blow the run line, giving up a run in an inning, but preserved the win. Griffin Jacks, Jordan Balazovic, a scoreless inning. Giovanni Morin, Emilio Pagan. They combined for three scoreless innings, and then for the Minnesota Twins, they put up a 10 spot on Saturday, 10 to 7. They were able to get the WS for the Twins. You had Pablo Lopez get completely destroyed. Seven runs surrendered in five and two thirds innings, including a pair of home runs. Seth Brown, ninth home run season. Ryan Noda is tenth home run season. For the Oakland A's, Austin Pruitt served as the opener, giving up two runs in an inning before Hogan Harris. He was not Hogan's heroes. He gave up five runs in four innings, including a home run, as he was taken deep by Michael A. Taylor, 11th home run season. And then Kyle Farmer gets his fifth home run season. That one comes off of a little bit of a new guy. He went for two and two-thirds innings. Freddie Tarnock, who gives up two runs in those two and two-thirds innings. From there, Sam Mullen out, out of the bullpen. And Trevor May, he gives up a run in an inning as well. And for the Minnesota Twins, they did have the back of Pablo Lopez. Giovanni Moore and Griffin Jacks both get a pair of outs out of the bullpen. And Oliver Ortega, Johan Duran. They're both able to turn a scoreless inning as well. You saw the Astros take down the LA Angels. 
by count of seven to five on Friday. Start where Shohei Tani just did not look like himself, giving up five runs, four of which were earned in five innings. Jacob Webb from there gives up two runs in an inning, but I mean, but he had two scoreless innings. Aaron Loop, Jose Soriano, they were able to combine for a scoreless inning, and for the Angels, you did see Shohei Otani at the plate have two hits in that game, and for the Houston Astros, was a less than savory start for J.P. France, giving up four runs, two of which were earned in four and a third innings, but bullpen for the Astros, clearly better in this one. Seth Martinez, Brian Ray, Ryan Presley, all on the scoreless setting, Hector Neris, Doug gives give up a home run in his inning work, but Phil Maton, pair of outside the bullpen, as for the Angels, Taylor Ward was able to get home run number 10 of the campaign, and you're looking at the game for Saturday. It was wild, it was crazy, but the LA Angels pull it off by a count of 13 to 12 in 10 innings. From Rivaldez, he got 13 strikeouts. That sounds good. The bad is he gave up five runs and six in a third innings, including a pair of homers. Going deep for the LA Angels, Luis Ranifo, his sixth home run season, then Zach Neto was able to get his seventh home run season, and then in the ninth inning, guess who steps up? Shohei Otani, 33rd home run of the season. That comes off of Ryan Presley. A little bit before that, Mike Boussakis goes deep off of Brian Abreu for his seventh home run of the season. For Abreu, he gives up one run in a third of an inning. Ryan Stanek, he gave up three runs in a third of an inning. Ryan Presley, trying to close it out, gives up three runs to Overturn, including that home run to Otani. Hector Neris, a scoreless inning. And then Phil Maton gives up the unearned run in his two-thirds of an inning in the 10th. And for the LA Angels, Reed Detmers gives up Four runs in six innings, and it sure looked like this bullpen was going to blow this game. You did have Zach Weiss be able to give a out-of-the-bullpen out scoreless, and Carlos Aceves in the 10th inning proved to be the hero. He was able to turn a scoreless inning, but Tucker Davidson, one under and run given up in his one and two-thirds innings. Matt Moore, fresh off the injured list, he gives up a home run, two runs in total in a two-thirds of an inning appearance, and Chris Davinsky, five runs surrendered while getting two outs. As for the Houston Astros, and Jose Abreu go deep off of Davinsky, eighth home run season, and Chaz McCormick, his ninth home run season, he was able to supply the other of them. You saw the Washington Nationals in the suspended game be able to get it done by kind of seven to five, and then on Saturday, the game that we were actually expecting to see, it was the St. Louis Cardinals who were able to restore a little bit of order as they got it done by kind of nine to six. In terms of the game that they actually played nine innings in on Saturday for the Washington Nationals, Jake Irvin, he goes three innings and he gives up four runs, all of which were earned, including a home run to Alec Burleson. His sixth home run season, Paul Espino, by the way, is back up at the big league level. He gives up two runs in three innings in long relief, giving up the 20th home run season to Nolan Arenado. From there, Amos Willingham gives up one run while getting five outs on the bullpen at Jose Farrar. He gets an out, and he gives up two runs along the way. You did have the Nationals get a pair of home runs. C.J. Abrams goes deep off of Steven Matz, his eighth home run season. And then Alex Call gets a sixth home run season also off of Matz, who did not get the win because he went four and a third innings, giving up four runs. From there, Dakota Hudson, three and a third innings in long relief. Scoreless before Genesis Cabrera. He's able to lend one and a third innings, giving up two runs. The New York Yankees got six runs in the first two innings of their game. Got out scoreless for the final seven, but it was enough to be able to get the job done. Six to three, the final. Clark Schmidt, very good start. At Coors Field, he gave up two runs in six innings with eight strikeouts. Did give up a home run to C.J. Krohn, eighth home run season, but you'll take that. From there, Juan Peralta, Clay Holmes, both lined a scoreless inning. Tommy Kinley gives up a run and an inning, but John Carlos Stanton, three-run homer off of Connor Siebold, his 11th home run season, and for Siebold, well, he boldly gave up six runs, all of which were earned while getting seven outs. The bullpen from there was great. Six and a two-thirds inning scoreless as you had 
Brad Amby able to land a scoreless inning. Gavin Hallwell, one and two-thirds inning scoreless. Tommy Doyle comes in for two scoreless innings, and you get two scoreless innings out of Matt Cook, but the image had been done by our good friend and Mr. Siebold. He is very much climbing up the fade list. For the DK Network picks, hopefully we get off the fade list because this was another rough one. I trusted in the under in Game 1 of Phillies versus the Padres. Of course, there's a pitching change like 90 minutes before the game, and, well, you saw the San Diego Padres bullpen completely blow this one 6-4. to four. The final as the Philadelphia Phillies did not get to Blake Snell. Blake Snell did have to wiggle out of a bases-loaded jam in the fifth inning, but goes for five scoreless innings, so... He continues on, and his last 10 starts, he's got a sub-060 ERA, and then the bullpen just completely destroyed it. You had Tim Hill give up three runs, two of which were earned in a third of an inning, and I saw on social media I was not the only one that had a play on this one, and I was not the only one that was upset. Stephen Wilson, two runs surrendered in an inning. Nick Martinez gives up a solo home run in his inning of work, going deep for the Philadelphia Phillies. Kyle Schwarber, his 23rd home run season, and Brett Honeywell gets a pair of outs out of the bullpen, and for the Padres, you did have a pair of home runs. Trent Grisham goes deep off of Rangers Suarez for his ninth home run season. And Matt Strom gives one up to Manny Machado his 17th for Strom. Gives up that home run in one and a third innings. Rangers Suarez gives up three runs in six innings, including that home run. But Junior Marte of the Marte Parte gets a pair of outs out of the bullpen. And Craig Kimbrell got a little bit airy. Gave up a pair of walks, but he wiggled out of it. By the way, for Blake Snell, in a doubleheader, it was the fewest pitches that he had thrown in a start since August of 2022. I have no idea what Bob Melvin was thinking, and the San Diego Padres got what they deserved. They also lost game number two by kind of nine to four. So Padres back to being five games below 500 as Ryan Weathers, he tried to weather the storm, did not go so great. Gave up four runs in four and two-thirds innings, including a pair of home runs. For the Phillies, Bryce Harper gets his first home run, and I'm not even kidding here, 35 games. Fourth of the campaign, Kyle Schwarber, he goes deep for home run number 24. From there, you did have three runs surrendered by Brett Honeywell in an inning. Adrian Morajon, he gives up two runs in a third of an inning. Alec Jacob, in his first MLB appearance, gets it out of the bullpen scoreless, and Luis Garcia filled five outs. He did not give up a run. Meanwhile, for the Phillies, Ivan Walker gives up two runs over the course of five innings. Andrew Velotti, Andrew Vasquez both lend a scoreless inning. From there, Luis Ortiz and Gregory Soto. They both give up a run in an inning, but more than enough for the team to be able to get the job done and to be able to sweep the doubleheader. The Milwaukee Brewers blank the Cincinnati Reds once again. 3-0 to the final. Reds could ju- get just one hit in this one. Andrew Abbott, he gave up two home runs, but he didn't pitch bad. He gave up two solo home runs in six innings. Going deep for the Milwaukee Brewers. You had Christian Yelich get his 12th home run season. And then William Contreras was able to get his 10th home run season a little bit later on. Owen Miller gets his 5th home run in the campaign. That comes off of Buck Farmer. A lot of that's home run in two-thirds of an inning. From there, Daniel Duarte, five outs at the bullpen scoreless. Alex Young gets a pair of outs at the bullpen scoreless. And for Freddy Peralta, by far his best start of the season. Six innings of one-hit no-run baseball. Elvis Piguero, Joe Piamps, Devin Williams. From there, all land a scoreless inning. So the Brewers take the first two of this series. The Tampa Bay Rays, they were able to sweep their doubleheader on Saturday against the Kansas City Royals. 6-1, to they were able to get it done in game number one. If you had the run line, it was a little bit of a sweat, but in the eighth inning, the team was able to bust through as you did have a pair of home runs in this one from Jose Siri. His 17th and 18th home runs of the season. You did have Francisco Mejia also get a home run number four of the campaign. The Mejia home run along with the first of the Jose Siri home runs. That comes off of the young gun and Alec Marsh, who actually didn't pitch bad. He takes a loss, but 11 strikeouts, gives up two home runs in six innings. 
The other home run comes off of Nick Wittgren, who gives up a run in an inning. Colin Snyder, he gave up three runs in an inning. This is a bullpen that just sucks for the Kansas City Royals. And Taylor Clark, he gets a scoreless setting as well. Bobby Wood Jr., lone form of offense for the Royals in this game. 15th home run season. That comes off Tyler Gladstone, who gives up that one sole run over the course of six innings. Javi Guerra, two scoreless settings. Jason Adam, a scoreless setting as well. And then game number two. Once again, a little bit of sweat on the run line, but the Tampa Bay Rays, they get it done by kind of 4-2 to two as they notch runs in the 7th, 8th, and ninth innings to be able to get it there. No home runs. They go just 2 of 11 with men in scoring position, but move the line. Cooper Criswell, as a bulk guy, he gives up two runs over the course of four innings. Sean Armstrong, the opener, two scoreless innings. Colin Poucher, Kevin Kelly, they both lend a scoreless inning, coupled with Pete Fairbanks as well. And for the Kansas City Royals, you did get a relatively solid start out of Cole Raggins, giving up one run in five innings, but once again, the bullpen sucks. Don Coleman, Carlos Hernandez, John Easley, all allow a run in their inning of work. And Jose Cuas, he was able to go for a scoreless inning as well, so the Rays getting back on track there. The Blue Jays, it looks like, are getting back on track as well. They take down the airs and Diamondbacks by a count of 5-2. to two. Want to be noting the home and road splits of Zach Gallen. Zach Gallen at home this far this season. Buck 49 ERA on the road, hovering more round of 5. He gives up 3 runs over the course of 5 innings, including a home run to Whit Merrifield. His 6th home run season, Boba Shett. He gets home run number 16 of the season. That comes off of Scott McGill. Did not make things a go. He gives up 2 runs over the course of an inning. He had Miguel Castro, Andrew Chafin, both lined a squirrel setting as well, but not not a lot doing out of Chris Bassett, who had the Arizona Diamondbacks hook line in sinker. Two runs surrendered in six innings. Nate Pearson, Yimi Garcia, Eric Swanson all able to lend a scoreless setting. He had plenty of scoreless settings in Pittsburgh as well. San Francisco Giants. They get a 3-1 to one win as for the Giants. A very good start here from Alex Cobb. Gives up one run in six innings. Does not get the win as he did allow a solo home run to... Uh, Henry Davis, former number one overall pick, second home run season, but you had Camilio Duvall, Scott Alexander, along with Taylor Rogers, all lend a scoreless inning, and for the Giants, you had Mikey Strzemski go deep early in this game off of Johan Oviedo, 11th home run season as for Oviedo. Gives up one run over the course of seven innings, but this bullpen of the Pittsburgh Pirates has been stinking recently. Dory Moretta, scoreless saying David Benar, pair of outside the bullpen, scoreless, but Carmen Mulduzinski gives up two runs, one of which was earned hurt by a Jason DeLay fielding error, which proved to be very costly in this one. The biggest underdog on the board on Saturday was the Chicago White Sox, and lo and behold, they get the job done, 6-5 to five the final. Fat Lance Lynn was not great, giving up four runs over the course of five and a third innings. Shock, shock, surprise, surprise, as gives up a home run to Ronald Acuna Jr., 22nd home run season, also to Eddie Rosario, 15th home run season, and then Acuna Jr. also goes deep off of Kendall Graveman for his 23rd home run season. Graveman gives up that sole home run over the course of his inning of work, but Gregory Santos, Keenan Middleton, they combine for two and two-thirds innings scoreless, and Jake Berger goes deep off of Spencer Strider, his 20th home run season as for Strider. Five runs surrendered over the course of six innings. He did punch out 10, but this is the third time in his last six starts that he has allowed at least five runs. Want to be at the very least mindful of that. Michael Tonkin, two scoreless innings. And then you had Joe Jimenez lend a scoreless inning out of the bullpen as well. For the New York Mets, they have scored one run in 18 innings since coming off of the All-Star break. 5-1, the LA Dodgers. We have to get the job done. Tony Gonsolin gives up a solo home run. 
in his five innings of work as Brandon Nimmo gets his 14th home run season. That was a home run that came in the fourth inning and nothing else doing for the Mets. Alex Vesia, Caleb Ferguson, Evan Phillips, Bruce Starter, Gradrell, all lined a scoreless inning and Mookie Betts proves he is the Betts around 27th home run season. That comes off of Kodai Singo. Did his part, gave up this home run over the course of six innings of work. You'll take that. And then Adam Avino. Gives up a run in an inning. Grant Hartwig gives up three runs, two of which were earned in two-thirds of an inning. Dominique Leon gets it out of the bullpen. Brooks Raley scoreless inning, but once again, the New York Mets, a big old thanks for nothing there. The Baltimore Orioles, they were able to take it to the Miami Marlins. This by a count of six of five as for the O's, you had them be able to tee off on Braxton Garrett. They got four runs over the course of four and two-thirds innings. No home runs. The home run that they did get, that came off of Uskar Brazoban, who gave up two runs in a third of an inning. Gunnar Henderson got his 14th home run season. And Kyle Gibson, not great in this one, gives up five runs in five and a third innings. No home runs, but lots of soft contact. Yanir Cano, Felix Batista, though, they blended scoreless inning. And Mike Bauman, he was able to get one and two-thirds innings out of the bullpen scoreless. And for Miami, 3 of 15 with men in scoring position that proved to be costly as Stephen Oker, JT Charcois combined for two scoreless settings. Dylan Floro, scoreless setting, but they could not get that shot to be able to push them over the top. And then out in Chicago, the Cubs may get it done by kind of 10 to 4 over the Boston Red Sox. James Paxson got hit hard in this one, giving up six runs over the course of three innings, including a home run by one Mr. Cody Bellinger, his 12th home run season. Then Patrick Wisdom gets his 15th home run season as in an inning, you had two runs surrendered, including that home run by Taylor Scott. From there, things settled down. Did have Brandon Walter give up two runs over the course of two innings, but Yoli Rodriguez, Joe Jacquez, they both under squirrels saying, and Trista Casas does go deep off of Julie Mary while they're 11th home run season, but much better start from Marcus Stroman, who was struggling going into the All-Star break. Dealt with a little bit of a blister. Looks like he's back. Gives up a one run in six innings. Merriweather gives up that home run, giving up two runs in an inning. And then Michael Fulmer gives up a run in an inning. And you get a scoreless inning out of, very nice name here, by the way, Daniel Palencia. So that's what we did see in Major League Baseball on Saturday. And if you're looking trend-wise at Major League Baseball, it has been a last 60 days. I think it's better to go 60 because we had quite a few days off. That has seen a few more unders and overs. 361 unders to 352 overs. In this time span, favorites have hit at 59%, 436, and 304 on the money line. And if you're looking at favorites covering the run line, you have seen 106 fail to do so in the last 60 days. Now, if you're looking at the last seven days, favorites since coming off the All-Star break, 28 and 16. So this is at Sunday in the last two days that we have seen. And among these favorites, we have seen seven fail to cover the run line in this time span. 23 unders, 19 overs. We've had two pushes in that time span as well. And overall, season to date in Major League Baseball, favorites are hitting at about 58.5% on the money line, 806 and 569. Among these favorites, we have now seen a grand total of 201 failed to cover the run line, 667 unders, 659 overs, and quite a few pushes along the way in terms of totals. So we have seen about 50.3% of games going under. So that's what we all saw in baseball late Friday night into Saturday, and that's what we're getting trend-wise in Major League Baseball. Coming up next, we are going to be taking a look at some teams to perhaps back and fade with our good friend Matt Williams, some of the bets that he's going to be looking at more in the second half of the season, especially when we get these shockier money lines. And we look forward to Sunday with our good friend from the game day MLB next right here on the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast. 
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that, he is... And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. Breaking down every game every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. We're back here in Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. It is always great to be joined by this man as Matt Williams. He is the lead MLB editor over at the Game Day MLB and GameDay.com. 
does a tremendous job taking a look at the game of baseball. Does a great job on a little bit of everything from first fives, full games, player props, you name it. He dives into it, does an amazing job following this sport that we all know and love. And you're able to follow him on Twitter at Matt Williams. So it's first and last name, but do note that the L's in Williams, they are replaced by the number seven. So it's Matt WI77 and then pretty much IMs, much like the dog food, which I don't know if that's necessarily the best way of putting it, but hey, I'm a fan of IMs and I'm a fan of Matt Williams. Matt, it's always great to have you aboard. Thank you. Every time I come on, you have a different way to explain my name. The dog food is definitely different. (laughs) Yes, it certainly is. It's a little bit more of a random one. And I think the better way to put it is I'm as in I'm right now having a great guest on the show. That's that's a better way of putting it, in my opinion. But we always have to try to find creative ways of being able to put it. And Matt, I think that that's perfect because you find a a bunch of different ways to be able to find ways to get to the window. You get very creative with it as well. And just what are you taking a look at in the second half of the season? Because I know that in the first half of the season, there were teams, there were players in general that we were able to back, fade, that were very profitable. Do you think that things might be drying up a little bit towards the second half of the season as we do get to the trade deadline and more of these bad teams? Well, it's going to get a bit tougher to be able to fade them because those prices, they're going to be going up and up since the past years. I still remember the likes of the Washington Nationals and company becoming north of $3 underdogs. It could be interesting too because there'll be some some confusing teams like the ones that certain betters can't quite wrap their head around or maybe are too bullish or confused on like the Cardinals. Everyone was waiting for them to turn it around and it looked like they were at least offensively for a bit. But then the GM comes out and says they are going to be breaking it down. He just flat out said, we're going to be trading people. The Mets, you know, they look like they ended the first half on a, on a, on a high note, kind of, they ran into a couple of tough pitchers and Snell and Musgrove at the very end and took a couple losses, but you're hoping they look good. They look just abysmal yesterday against the Dodgers. You know, it is the Dodgers, but the Dodgers are not the Dodgers that we are used to there a little more middle of the pack uh, than they, we typically uh, would associate them with. And it's very interesting because they're going to be breaking it down. They're going to be sending some of their players out. We'll be able to settle into uh, a little more of a top-heavy league with a few teams fighting for the wild card. But yeah, like you said, there'll be there'll be some really bad teams settling to the bottom. Prop bets are probably going to be a little more popular uh, you know, at a certain point as the sides may be a little more confusing as far as like the money line and run line. One thing I've gotten more comfortable with is as far as betting totals i've gotten burned i I think every time i come on the show i always talk about bullpens i don't trust them especially this year just hasn't been going well i I don't trust bullpens so i i hate taking full game unders i almost have been taking the f5 unders if i want an under and i'll go full game over and i feel more comfortable that way and i think as teams get a little more shook up with the trade deadline yeah game totals and prop bets may be where i go a little more but you know it'll all depend the situation but yeah, the only thing I feel confident in is that I never ever want to bet uh, the under in a Braves game. I made that rule about a month and a half ago, and it's been serving me well. Yeah, with the Atlanta Braves, especially with the way that the starting pitching, if there is a weakness for the team, it is that. And then the lineup, it has been just absolutely pounding the tar out of everyone. I don't think that that's a bad rule to have. And to your point about full game unders, last two days in the Padres versus Phillies game as not been too kind to me as Matt Williams, who does great work over at the game day MLB, 
is Joe to be right here on the Baseball Betting <laughs> Show. And in terms of perhaps a few specific teams that you are taking a look at, obviously you just laid it out with the Atlanta Braves, the fact that you're not taking a look at unders there. Trust me, no pushback for me on that one. But are there a few teams that are of intrigue that you think they might slash might not have some value? Because I do think that for a lot of these teams the next few weeks, it's going to be very dependent upon how they play in these next few series because there are some teams that they're right on the border of being buyers and sellers. And if you get a team like, I mean, for instance, the Chicago Cubs, if they go on a nice like nine and five run, something like that, perhaps they're right in the NL Central race. If they go five and nine, eh, that's probably the end of their season. Is there any teams like that that you're taking a look at and you think there might be great value in either backing or fading them? I mean, in terms of uh, futures bet or just in Just in game to game. Just game to game. The Blue Jays. Vlad, uh, since the home run derby, seems to have found his power stroke a little bit. I always look at them and Jose Barrios, he seems to have found his form a little bit where it looked like he'd just completely fallen off. Alec Manoa, we have yet to see if that first start back was legitimate or if, you know, it was just the Tigers. I believe that's who he faced, the Tigers. So this is a team that I always thought that, you know, they could turn around any moment. A lot of teams that, you know, like I mentioned, the Cardinals and Mets that you maybe want to in too much and i'm still in on the blue jays i still think they're going to turn it around it's a very tight division the rays have not been playing their best even though they're still far out in front their bats have cooled off like they were the best offense by far in baseball for the longest time they've cooled off to a degree so i think the blue jays i really expect them to try to turn it around except as far as transactions i'm not really sure what they're going to do there's not really a whole ton they can do as far as taking players on they're already at the upper echelon of i think what they want to spend we'll see there in the central the guardians are gonna end up being a team that you always want to look at from a perspective of like you know the under they can't score <laughs> and pitching is pretty solid we'll have to see what they do with the deadline in terms of they have too many cooks in the kitchen. They've demoted players, Logan Allen's down, so they could keep like the police acts of the world. Or not police act. Who's the quality start machine everyone loves? Cal Quantrill. Cal Quantrill. Yeah, so everyone can have Cal Quantrill. Now, they're, they're, it's in their best interest to probably not have him in there and get some of the more talented arms in. I don't know. There's just too many teams to name here. You think the Astros, once they are fully healthy again, which they are not, you think that they're going to probably make a major run and you can probably bank on them because right now they're not really swinging the bat well. Christian Javier hasn't been too solid. They just haven't been the team you're hoping for. They're a few games behind the Rangers. I think they're going to make a major run in the second half once they got all their bats in the lineup and they're healthy. But we just have to see. We just have to see. You know, if Otani ends up leaving the division and he goes, he maybe goes to the NL. It's too many moving parts. So, yeah, maybe we should revisit this after the trade deadline. But right now, it's just, yeah, a ton of moving parts. Absolutely. There are a ton of moving parts. And you did mention the Central and the American League. How about if we take a look at the Central and the National again? This is just a very critical series. It's the Brewers versus the Reds. We're either going to have a team in sole possession of first place or we're going to have a tie for first. After what we see on Sunday as the Brewers are slight underdogs with Adrian Dolcom, Doogie Hauser taking the bump for him. And you've got Ben Lively on the bump for the Cincinnati Reds. Two great names, by the way. Lively versus Hauser. That's A-plus material right there. But total on this game is between 10 and a half and 11. Reds are about a minus 125 favorite. What do you make out of this game? Because they take a look at Lively and Hauser. Certainly not big-name pitchers, but honestly come in pitching not too bad and I recognize that Cincinnati is very much a hitter's haven, but 
with both of these offenses, I think that at 10 and a half to 11 is just too high of a total. I really don't like betting double digit totals too much unless I'm really confident. I'm going to stay away from the total, even betting the under because the offenses, you never know what you're going to get here. The Brewers have certainly struggled, but you couldn't be surprised if the overhit in the first five innings between these two. It's like if it happened, you wouldn't be like, oh, well, that's a shocker. It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. The Reds right now, I found, at least in terms of when we were recording this early on a Saturday evening, their money line could be as low as like minus 124. I like that for the full game. The Brewers, I don't trust their offense at all. They need to add a bat at the trade deadline. And I think the Reds over nine innings in this one, I think I trust them at home. So I do like that, just the money line for the full game here. And as far as like the rest of the season, if anyone's back banking on like futures here. I do like the Reds to win this division because we've seen the Brewers try to fix their team over the years. The last time they made a move that made sense was when they added CC Sabathia. <laughs> And he went oh, I a, remember that one. He like pitched. Remember, he wasn't going back there, but he put his like arm on the line. He was great. But if I had to choose between the Brewers like bringing in a bat they really need or the Reds adding like a cheap arm to add in with the young guys, I actually trust the Reds, even though they're the last meaningful thing their ownership said was, where else are you going to go? But when the fans were complaining about them not doing anything, yeah, I believe in the young Reds here. I like the money line for them on Sunday, and I do like them to win this division because I know we mentioned the Cubs earlier. I don't think they have that in them to make that run you were suggesting and i think ownership already hinted that they're probably not going to be extending stroman so i think they're more likely to break it down cardinals are breaking it down pirates are facing the other direction so it's, i think it's going to be just a two-horse race down the stretch and i trust the reds a lot more than the brewers yeah trust me i am a wisconsin sports fan and i tell you it's a cycle of life you're able to build <laughs> it like a triangle your expectations are low so that's the bottom of the triangle you get expectations upward. That's one part of the triangle. You then reach a peak where you think that things are going well, and then it's downwards for the other part of that triangle where they completely let you down. And that is every Wisconsin sports team uh, that you are going to witness. The Milwaukee Bucks were a lone exception a few years ago, but Packers, Brewers, the Wisconsin Badgers, this applies for all Wisconsin sports teams. They will all disappoint. I fully expect that from the Brewers. So I'm right there with you, and I've got a future on the Cincinnati Reds to win this division myself. So we are in agreement on that one, as I feel like you sort of have that with the New York Mets as well. It's Matt Williams, <laughs> who does great work over it's, at the game day. It's the same triangle, except it's a lot louder and more embarrassing. Yeah, Ben, you know what? <laughs> this is perfect, because we've got the Mets versus the Dodgers, a pretty similar line. The total's obviously a little bit lower. Total on this game is more like an eight and a half, but the Mets, they're about a minus 125 to a minus 130. So in that same ballpark of the Cincinnati Reds on Sunday, and with the Dodgers are going to be throwing out their Bobby Miller against Max Scherzer. What do you make out of this one? Because with the Mets, I certainly do think that Scherzer has an advantage over Bobby Miller. We've seen Bobby Miller regress a little bit. The good news for the Mets is they're facing off against a bullpen that is just as bad as theirs. I don't trust the books where they have Scherzer as a solid favorite. Uh, my projections would agree with them that he should be the favorite over Miller, but they already mentioned he was almost not a lock to even start this game because he came out of the all-star break, wasn't sure about his health. Wherever I heard that before, I don't trust this at all. I have a tweet on Twitter. I post every once in a while and retweet out. I put, there is a 0% chance that I could make contact off a major league pitcher or get a, get a hit. But if I did, it would be a home run off Max Scherzer. He can't help but give up home runs. Same with Justin Verlander. Even when they were at the top of their game, 
that is a flaw they had. They gave up home runs, but here he's giving up a ton this season. The Dodgers pitching may be off, but their hitting is still very dangerous. Bobby Miller, yeah, I expect him to give up some runs too. The bullpens have been bad. So the the move here is the over. <laughs> Full game over. There'll definitely be tons of fireworks. I mean, now watch double dueling, no hitter incoming probably because I said that. But yeah, everything in front of me suggests that the only move here is just to bet the full game over. I don't blame you there. Personally, I wouldn't want it at a nine, but as long as we get the eight and a half like I'm seeing right now, mm. I'm with you. I do like the eight and a half over in this circumstance. And well, we've got a circumstance on Sunday where the greatest fade in baseball this year is taking them out. And by that, I mean, it's Jordan Lyles who's getting a start for the Kansas City Royals. So I will say one thing about Jordan Lyles. The Royals have one win in a Jordan Lyles start thus far this year. And it came against the Tampa Bay race on the road. It's going to be Zach Eflin who goes for the race, and he does have some pretty demonstrative home and road splits. Right now, I'm seeing a total of 10 up at DraftKings with a minus 230 on the Tampa Bay race. And personally, I don't know if I can advocate for a 10 over. With that said, for the Kansas City Royals, I need a way more than a plus 195 to be able to take a look there. I'm not like Jones in the lay a minus 150 run line of the Tampa Bay race in this ordeal, but... In order for me to even want any sort of a part whatsoever of the Kansas City Royals and the stinkitude of this team, I just need to be getting way more bang for my buck. This team should be getting priced more like the Oakland A's because right now I just feel like the Royals, if you're looking to go up against a really bad team, they're probably giving you the best bang for your buck if you're fading. The stinkitude, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, there's not enough of a good price uh, to back the Royals. And like you said, the run line is even very steep for the Rays. So the only thing you can really do to ride the Rays here is I think you you know pair them up in like a parlay. I've said before, one of those juice reducers like the Luis Arias under half a strikeout or just pair them with another money line that you really like. Like not, I like JP Sears actually a lot. I think athletics is their best thing. But if you want to go full game money line on the Twins and Joe Ryan, that's obviously a good spot. You know, something like that. You know, that is maybe a solid bets for the Rays. Other than that, you know, Jordan Lyles is bad and I expect the Rays to put it on him. But Zach Eflin has been great. The Royals offense, not so great. And you can actually get a 10 and a half a few spots i take the under because yes i expect tampa bay to be all over lyles but i expect the royal side to be extremely quiet and i do not think the rays are going to be putting up like 11 runs on the board so as much as i think this is going to be a bloodbath on one side i think it's only on one side so the 10 and a half for me i actually like the under quite a bit i don't blame you there because with zach eflin i recognize that he hasn't been the same guy on the road as he has been at home but this royal team has not hit all season long and I don't see that turning around on Sunday. And Matt, when it comes to the board that we do have for Sunday, is there anything else that's standing out for you, whether that be a full game, whether that be a first five, any sort of player props? As we do have, in my opinion, a lot of really good series that are going to be going down on this Sunday. The game total, like I said, I've been going full game over, and I've actually liked F5 unders. I've actually taken the F5 under for the first two games of the San Diego Philly game. Anyone who's taken the under for full game, I know you mentioned it earlier, has gotten a little burned because I don't trust bullpens. I've taken that the first two times, cash both times. I'll be doing it again on Sunday. San Diego Philly, it's Seth Lugo versus Zach Wheeler. I think that that is a really good spot for it to be under five and a half runs, which is listed right now for the first five innings. I think that's really good. Arizona, Toronto. You can go full game here. I like the F5 because it's listed at six and a half runs. 
that's a lot of runs to be put on the board through the first five innings. It's Henry versus Kikuchi, which doesn't sound like the most magical matchup, but Tommy Henry's actually been very solid for the Diamondbacks. In the very beginning, it looked like he was getting away with some luck, but if you really look at his referral statistics, he has been solid, and the Blue Jays have not been anywhere near as dangerous as anyone's hoped they'd be. I mentioned that earlier. Kikuchi has actually been very good, even though the Diamondbacks have been dangerous on their own turf, but I think under six and a half, I really like that uh, quite a bit. As far as like a run line, I like Chicago. The Cubs, Steele versus Cutter Crawford versus the Red Sox there. Justin Steele's the real deal. I back him every time I can. Right now, again, I do love F5s. You can get the run line there, which you only give up the half run. Minus 110. That's a pretty big advantage at starting pitching, in my opinion, Steele versus Crawford. So if I can get them to walk away with the lead after the first five innings for minus 110, that's perfect for me. So yeah, I like the San Diego Philly under, Arizona Toronto under. Again, I prefer the F5, but you can look to the full game if you guys trust bullpens. I do not. And I like Chicago giving up a half run in the first five. Absolutely. And I do think that the Cutter Crawford matchup against Justin Seal, a little bit of an under the radar one as well. I'm in agreement with you. Cutter Crawford is someone that I think has some upside and Justin Seal has been the man of Seal all season long and a man that is as strong as Steel on the baseball betting board. That is you, Matt. You do a tremendous job over at the game day MLB. Love to get people at home. Know it's all on tap for you. And how people are able to follow along on social media and other platforms. Sure. Yeah, you can follow me over on uh, Twitter, like you said in the beginning. M-A-T-T-W-I-7-7-I-M-S on Twitter. The link to a free Discord if you want to go over there and just chat baseball betting anytime you want. You can find my written work over on thegameday.com Tuesday through Friday. I do my best bets on the days where I'm not putting bets up there. I put all of my free parlays, props, and sides on Twitter. If you have any questions about anything, you can always feel free to just reach out and ask. Matt does a tremendous job taking a look at the game of baseball, looking at it in so many different ways, so many different directions to be able to find some money. And Matt, every single time he joins this podcast, does a great job of lending so many of those angles. A big thanks to Matt for joining me on the Baseball Winning Show, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Sunday as we catch them all. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. At 
Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that, he is... And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed 365 21-plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. And we're back here in Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Always great to be joined by Matt Williams. He does tremendous work over at the Game Day MLB, taking a look at this game that we all know and love. Every single time he joins this podcast, lends tremendous insight as to just ways in general to be able to attack the prop market, what he's all seeing in terms of the great game of baseball, and always tosses out some great picks. So big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. They give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Sunday as we 
Touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that as per usual, any changes there made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at unit underscore D1. We are going to be going in the Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the National League games first, then the American League games, any interleague games. Those are going to be at the bottom. That'll keep things all nice, neat, clean, and easy. So, without further ado, let's dive in on a game as presently off the board. That would be 951-952 on the betting board. It is the San Francisco Giants. They are going to be on the road facing up against the Pittsburgh Pirates. We know that it's going to be Oswaldo Beto who's going to be going for the Pirates. To be determined is on the bump for the Giants. I know that the Giants are skipping Logan Webb starts, so by process of elimination, I'm thinking that we're going to get Alex Wood. It could be a little bit more of a bullpen game, and if it is a little bit more of a bullpen game with like Keaton Wynn, Sean Manea, one of those guys being a bit more of a bulk guy, would put a little bit of a downgrade here, but I projected as if it's Wood versus Beto. I made the Giants minus 171 on the line, minus 108 on the run line, so we'll be willing to lay up to a minus 170 on the Giants on the money line. If I'd be able to get a minus 108 or less, I'd be willing to lay the run in half. And then 9 or less, we'll be looking at it over 9.5 prior to the under. If you do get Alex Wood, he's been actually quite a bit better on the road than he has been at home with a 304 road ERA compared to a 615 home ERA, giving up about a home run per 9 innings, but has been giving up about 4.5 walks per 9 innings. But with the San Francisco Giants, they would be backing him up with the best bullpen in the big leagues since the beginning of the month of May. You've had both of the Rogers brothers be able to give you a sub 3-3 ERA. Ryan Walker has been tremendous before this scene with a 3 ERA of his own. Camilo Duvall as a closer. He's been able to do a rock solid job. Got lots of guys that are able to give you multiple innings and that's just the San Francisco Giants team with the offense. It's one of those holes greater than some of its parts teams. They have a different lineup pretty much based on whether or not it's a left-handed pitcher or right-handed pitcher. Nobody on this team has north of 13 home runs with Michael Conforto leading the way there, but you've got pretty much six different guys with at least nine home runs, eight different guys with at least eight home runs. Pretty much everyone except for probably Michael Conforto has at least a 250 average and or at least a 350 on base if they aren't hitting above a 250. So it's a very well-rounded, good team with Therio Estrada being able to do a nice job of also being able to give the team nearly 20 stolen bases. Lamonte Wade Jr., 400 on base. So all in all, this team checks all the boxes of just being a scrappy, well-rounded team going up against someone in Beto. He got called up a little bit unexpectedly, in my opinion. Hasn't necessarily lent a lot of length. Five starts, six total appearances, has only went 24 and a third innings. Now, the good is he's only given up one home run. The bad is he's giving up north of three walks per nine innings. The strikeout numbers aren't terrible. They're not necessarily amazing either. Supposed to get up a fielding independent of a 373. So, I mean, it's not like he's been an object disaster or anything like that. But the Pittsburgh Pirates, bottom eight team in terms of bullpen area over the last 35 days. They do get Yohan Ramirez back in the fold after he was the only injury. But since a good start to the year, Colin Holderman, Dory Moretta, both of these guys now have above a 335 ERA. David Benar, Yerdy De Los Santos, both of these guys have been able to give you a sub-2 ERA. But for the Pirates, bottom four team in terms of runs per game since the beginning of the month of May. 
Keep in mind that after the month of April, this team was actually the number one team record-wise in the National League. It has all went downhill from there because they've only got one guy giving you homers, Jack Swinniski. He's been able to pound out 19 home runs, give you about a 355 on base. Only other player with at least 10 home runs is Andrew McCutcheon, and he is now on the 10-day injured list. That's not too terrific. You do have Brian Reynolds, who's able to hit for about a 265, but and then past that, you've got someone like a Cabrian Hayes, Rodolfo Castro that they've been able to move line, but Cabrian Hayes has been injured. Rodolfo Castro is out with a few ailments of his own. It's a banged-up team as looking to the likes of G-Man Choi to be able to step up. I think that if it's Alex Wood, he should be able to mow them down. If it's a bullpen game for the Giants, they should be able to get to him as well. Slight downgrade if it will be a bullpen game, but assuming Wood versus Vito would be willing to lay up to a minus 108 on that Giants run line, would need at least a plus 172 to take a shot on the Pirates money line. Nine or less looking at the over 9.5 right to the under 953-954 on the betting board. It is the Slam Diego Padres setting the red face off against the Philadelphia Phillies. Zach Whelan and Dylan Wheeler is going to be going for the Phils, and Seth Lugo is going to be going for the Padres. Padres are between plus 130 and plus 138 underdogs. Minus 145 and minus 150 is the price on the Phillies. 8.5 to 9 is the total on the 8.5. Overs minus 120, the unders even on the 9. The unders minus 120 and the overs even. After getting burnt on two heartbreaking unders with DK Network picks in this series, I decided to go away from this one. I'm sure that you guys are saying you're welcome. Hopefully we can get back on track because I need to do better. But that said, with the Philadelphia Phillies, it's at them as a minus 152 money line. If you're looking at the run line, you're going to be getting that right around about a plus 135. Need at least a plus 132 to take a shot on the run line. Personally, I do look a little bit more to the run line because I think that Zach Wheeler is going to be in for a really good second half of the season. He does not deserve the 405 ERA that he has received. The fielding behind him just has not been great. We know that the Philadelphia Phillies, they do have their issues out there in the field, but for Wheeler, 10.5 strikeouts, 1.9 walks per 9 innings, giving up 0.7 home runs per 9 innings. 283 fielding independent compared to a 405 ERA has been incredibly unlucky on balls in play. Gave up three plus runs at each of his last three starts going into the All-Star break, but the Phillies have still been winning behind him. They actually have won each out of his last six starts and are 7-1 in his last eight. Meanwhile, for Seth Lugo, he's very average in terms of everything that he does. He's actually been a better road pitcher than he has been a home pitcher. 265 road ERA, 425 ERA at home, but Gives up a little bit less than home run per nine innings. That's probably his best attribute. He gives up about two walks per nine innings. Opponents hit at 263 off of him. Gets a little bit north of eight strikeouts per nine innings. He's not going to light it up. He is not going to cost you the game. He is a very average pitcher. With the Padres going into the All-Star break, they were fourth in the National League in terms of bullpen ERA, but... Things have been slip sliding for the team. Nick Martinez, he's got an ERA that's now above a 350. They had to play 18 innings yesterday. Josh Hader has been tremendous as a closer for this team. You've got Steven Wilson back in the fold along Tom Cosgrove. Both of these guys have been nice bullpen pieces, giving you a sub-3 ERA. But we have seen this Padres bullpen going southward. Not great, to say the least. Meanwhile, for the Philadelphia Phillies, you do have a pair of guys in Andrew Vasquez along with Jose Alvarado that have been very good all season long, giving you a sub-2-2 ERA. Now, the bad news is you got Jose Alvarado currently on the injured list, so you're going to be seeing a little bit more of Jeff Hoffman, who's been able to give you a sub-3 ERA. Very key that Gregory Soto continues to get online as well. Last three days, he's posted up a sub-2 ERA after a really bad start to the season, and Craig Kimbrell has been actually very good this year. That's something that you do like to see 
for the Philadelphia Phillies. A little bit of a top-heavy lineup in that. You've got Kyle Schwarber, who's been able to give you 23 home runs in terms of the power. In terms of the lineup itself, in terms of getting on base, not so top-heavy. Because you do have quite a few guys that may find a way to get on base. Going into Game 2 of the doubleheader, Nick Cassianos, Bryce is sad. Bryce Harper, all hitting at least a 293. All these guys giving you north of a 335 on base. Nick Cassianos is the only player outside of Kyle Schwarber, though, with north of 11 home runs. Trey Turner, JT Riamito, both are guys with right around a 300 on base, hitting between about a 245 to 250. Just need to be getting a little bit more there. Phillies, the top 10 team in terms of batting average, but stranding a lot of men on base because they don't have as much power this year. Meanwhile, for the Padres, very top-heavy lineup of their own. You've got Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis Jr., Manny Machado, all entering into Game 2 of the doubleheader with between 16 and 17 home runs. Machado and Tatis Jr. hitting above a 300 over the last 35 days. Juan Soto, 420 on base as far as the season, but you take a look at the bottom of the fold for this team. Trent Grisham, Jake Cronenworth, the entire catcher spot, Rudinette Odor, Matt Carpenter, all hitting a 216 or lower. Now for the Padres, number one team in the big leagues in terms of walks drawn on a per-at-bat basis. Got a guy in Zach Wheeler that doesn't necessarily give up a lot of walks. I do think that the Phillies should be able to get this one done. I like the Phillies being able to get that plus 135 on the run line. Did some I told at 8.1 as well. For the Phillies, I think that they're going to have a little bit of a tough time putting bat to ball. Philly has been playing a little bit more pitcher-friendly as well. The ballpark, so going to be taking a look at the under and that run line of the Phillies. Now you have my DK Network right up pick. Let's get online with these. 955, 956 on the betting board. The Milwaukee Brewers, the third faceoff against the Cincinnati Reds. Yes, we are on to Cincinnati, and they're on to Ben Lively getting the start for them. Adrian, don't call him Doogie Ozer. is on the bump for the Brewers. Between 10.5 and 11 is the total. On the 10.5, overs between minus 115 and minus 120. Unders between even and minus 105. On the 11, unders minus 120, and the over is even. The Reds are between minus 122 to minus 130 favorites. Between plus 105 to plus 115 is your number on the Brewers. I did set the Reds as a minus 140 money line, so I'm going to be diving in there. But the network write-up pick is actually going to be on the under. Got a Reds team that is actually entering into yesterday, averaging fewer runs per game and a lower on-base percentage at home rather than on the road, despite the fact that in terms of ballpark factors, this is a top-five ballpark for hitters in general. But you got a pair of pitchers that come in sneaky hot. You've got a guy in Adrian Hauser that in each out of his last four appearances, a combined four runs allowed, two runs or fewer in all four of those appearances. Ben Lively, a combined five runs allowed in his last three starts, including coming off the injured list in his first start going into the All-Star break. Since coming off the injured list, one run given up in five and two-thirds innings against the Brewers. So, Ben Lively has one big kryptonite, which is why he's fielding independent is north of a 4.5 compared to his 3.83 ERA. He is giving up about 1.8 home runs per nine innings. Fortunately for him, both teams in this game do not hit out the deep ball. Both of these teams are 21st and 22nd respectively in the league in terms of home runs on a per-game basis. And for the Brewers, you do have a couple thumpers on this team as you've had Christian Yelich, Joey Weimer, Willie Adamas, Roddy Tellez, all with between 11 and 16 home runs. Now, with Tellez, he's currently dealing with an injury, but Adamas and Weimer entered into yesterday, both with a sub-300 on base and both hitting a 214. Christian Yelich has actually been great. 375 on base, 11 home runs, but not a lot of power out of this lineup. And for the Brewers, dead last in the National League in terms of batting average overall and 
For the Brewers, they are second worst in the National League in terms of runs per game on the road. You've got the likes of Blake Perkins getting at bats. He's been hitting about a 220 this far this season. Bryce Terang has not been able to move the line. Jesse Winker has one more home run than myself in 150 at bats this far this season. And then on the red side of things, certainly you've got the guys moving the line. L.A. De La Cruz has been lit well above a 300. Right now, your main thumper has been Spencer Sear, which tells you that this is a team that they do like a little bit of power, but Joey Votto coming back helps in that aspect a little bit. But Steer, Jonathan India, combined 27 home runs. This team does a very good job of just having so many guys that they get on base. So Matt McClain, about a 365 on base, hitting just below 300. TJ Friedel has been able to 300, 375 on base. Will Benson under the radar has been able to give you about a 380 on base as well. So all in all, it is rock solid. And what else has been rock solid? This Reds bullpen. You've got Alexis Diaz, who's a little bit of an underrated closer for this bunch. And then on top of that, you do have guys that are able to get them the ball. As the likes of Derek Law, Lucas Sims, Alex Young, a 3 ERA or lower, Ian Gabo, Dan Duarte, Buck Farmer, all below a 365 ERA. Oh no, Reds are right around 11th to 12th in the league in terms of bullpen ERA. And for the Brewers, entering into yesterday, 7th in the league in bullpen ERA over the last 30 days. This is really the best that they've pitched in the bullpen all season long. It's a little bit of a long guy. Bryce Wilson has been able to give you a sub-3 ERA. Now, getting the ball to Devin Williams has been a little bit of an issue, but Elvis Piguero, Joe Piamps, both have a 3 ERA or better. You just seem to be able to find that bridge guy because the likes of Javi Guerra and company just have not been it. And then for our good friend Adrian Hauser, good news is he's pitching better on the road than he has at home. 341 road ERA, 403 home ERA, and after giving up 4-plus walks per 9 innings each other the last two years, he has been able to drop that down to three walks per nine innings this year with giving up a little bit less than a home run per nine innings. So I do think that this is a little bit of a sneaky good pitching matchup, especially with, well, how bad the Brewers lineup has been and because the Brewers lineup has been so bad. That is why I do like the Reds on the money line in the spot set them more around to minus 141. So looking at the Reds money line, DK Network write-up pick. Did some I told it at 9.9, so getting a 10.5 to an 11, looking at the under. We go to 9.57, 9.58 on the betting board. It is the LA Dodgers, and they're on the road facing off against the New York Mets. Mad Max Scherzer goes for the Metropolitans, and Bobby Miller is on the bump for the Dodgers. The Dodgers are between plus 110 to plus 116 underdogs. Anything between minus 124 to minus 130 is your number on the Mets. 8.5 is the total. The over is minus 120. The under is even, and... I did set my total at an 8.8. I'm going to be taking a look at the over in this ordeal. I set the money line at a minus 119. If you're looking at that run line, you're getting a plus 155 on the Mets. I would need more like a plus 173 personally. So this is a circumstance where I'm in a little bit more wait and see mode. If we can get this down about 6 to 8 cents on the Mets money line, I'm willing to dive in there. If we could get this to more like a plus 120 on the Dodgers, that would be my look there. So right now I'm sort of in no man's land on very early openers, but as the lines of Vegas come out, more of the dime lines, I should be able to settle this. But with Max Scherzer, he's been significantly better at home than he has been on the road. 296 home ERA, 492 ERA on the road. Now, small sample size at home, but he's giving up about one home run per nine innings. He's also done a good job of being able to mitigate walks at home. Seven walks in 27 and a third innings for Scherzer. I think the big key is avoiding that third time through the lineup because first two times through the lineup, he's actually been very good. He has given up 10 home runs in about 258 at bat. So he's giving up a home run every about 26 or so at bats first few times through the lineup. But all in all, opponents are about a 215 off of him. 
Third time through the lineup, opponents hit a 359 off of him. That's pretty massive, but you do have a Dodgers team that is in the bottom 10 in the big leagues in terms of throw batting average. Now, the way that they make up for it is, for one, they do a very good job of being able to find a way on base with walks. They are number two in the big leagues in terms of walks on a per-at-bat basis. And then you do have just a lot of guys in general supplying the boom. Mookie Betts, 26 home runs thus far this season, hitting about a 275 with a 375 on base. You've had Freddie Freeman be the main guy in terms of being able to give you a bit more batting average, hitting a little bit over 300. He's been able to do a good job supplying north of 15 home runs. J.D. Martinez is north of 20 home runs. Max Muncie, he's one of those prime guys I'm talking about that I mean, he doesn't hit for any sort of average. He entered into yesterday hitting below the Bidos line of 200, but 332 on base, 21 home runs this far this season. So you've got a lot of that going on with the L.A. Dodgers, but as I was alluding to with Matt Williams, got a pair of bullpens that just absolutely stink on ice. For the Mets, you've got Brooks Raley, who's been a good setup guy. For David Robertson, who's been terrific. But Mets overall, 21st in the big leagues in terms of bullpen area with the likes of Dominic Leone and company coming out of the bullpen. Adam Adovino, they just have no idea what they're doing. And for the LA Dodgers, so many guys have went backwards with this bullpen. Yancey Almonte, Alex Vessio were tremendous in the bullpen last year. They've got north of five ERAs. Caleb Ferguson, Broussard, or Greider all have been relatively okay along with Evan Phillips, but when you're relying upon someone like Nick Robertson, that's rough. I will say for the Dodgers, top 10 team in terms of bullpen area over the last three days, so starting to round into form, but hard to have a lot of faith there. And then for Bobby Miller, the 5-1 record with him is just so deceiving. He's now got a 4.50 ERA, certainly was having a very good run of things early on, and it does feel like the league has caught up to him a little bit. Now, part of it has been a bit of bad luck as well. He's only giving up about 0.8 home runs per nine innings. He is giving up a little bit north of three walks per nine innings, though, has given up three-plus runs in each out of his last four starts. Dima's only lost really one of his starts. That was that 15-0 shellacking that they took against the San Francisco Giants, but he is starting to give up a little bit more hard contact, and he's going up against a Mets team that you've got the two Franciscos. Francisco Alvarez along with Francisco Lindor combined 36 home runs between the two of them. Both of these guys hitting in that neighborhood about a 235-240. It has honestly been great for them getting on base, but prior to the All-Star break, they were really starting to pick it up. You do need Pete Alonso to be a little bit more consistent in terms of just finding a way on base as well as I mean, the home run power has been tremendous. 26 home runs, but hardly over a 300 on base. He's been in a little bit of a funk as going into the game on Saturday. He had not had a hit ever since he had a multi-hit game on July 6th. So a four-game hitless drop for him. That's not necessarily too terrific. You do have Tommy Pham, who's really picked it up. He's been hitting well above a 300 over the last 35 days. Brandon Nimmo has been able to find a way to be able to move the line. Jeff McNeil is not what he's been in past years, but still finding a way on base along Starling Marte. So I do think that with the New York Mets, they should be a little bit of a favorite. Still do have some trepidations with Scherzer, especially the third time through the lineup. So I am in agreement with Matt Williams. As long as you've got the 8.5 that I'm seeing, I do like it over. I set mine at an 8.8. I set my money line at a minus 119. So plus 120 or greater, looking at the Dodgers, minus 118 or less, looking at the Mets on the money line. 959-960 on the betting board. The Washington Nationals, they're on the road. They're facing off against the St. Louis Cardinals. Captain Jack Flaherty is going to be going for the cards. And Josiah Gray is on the bump. For Washington, Washington between a plus 160 to a plus 165 underdog between minus 180 to a minus 190 is your number on St. Louis with 8.5 to 9 being the total on the 9. Under is minus 120, the over is even on the 8.5, over is minus 120, and the under is even 
I did set the Cardinals at a minus 207 on the money line. Was willing to lay up to a minus 114 on that run line. Right now, you're getting a plus 105, so sign me up there. Jack Flaherty has had a rough time with regards to command all season long, but you know who else has really had a rough time with regards to command? Josiah Gray, and Josiah Gray has been one of the luckiest pitchers in baseball all season long. Credit where credit is due for being able to miss a few more barrels than last season as last year he was giving up right around 2.3 home runs per nine innings. He's been able to downgrade that to more like 1.3 home runs per nine innings, but if you're looking for regression candidates, in my opinion, this is one of the top ones in all of baseball. Credit where credit is due for him being able to be an all-star this past season, but he's getting 8.3 strikeouts, uh, 4.2 walks per nine innings, 341 ERA with a fielding independent of a 478. That really speaks to me. And for you, Sai Gray, what I will give him a little bit of credit on as well as the fact that over the last few years, he's actually been a little bit of a better road pitcher than a home pitcher. And that's manifested itself very much as your 420 home ERA, 239 road ERA. I think that he's doing for a little bit of positivity at home as he's given up nine home runs at 36 and a third innings at home, five bombs at 64 innings on the road. So I do think that that irons out a little bit. And then for Flaherty, I did mention the fact that he's had his walks issues and he actually leads the National League and hit by pitches as well. But the 4.7 walks per nine innings needs to clean that up. But swinging miss stuff has been able to return from about eight and a half strikeouts per nine innings. He's done a good job of being able to mitigate the deep ball. This is the first time in his career he's giving up less than a home run per nine innings. So that has been of positivity. And now he gets to go up against the Washington Nationals team that they are very much a free-swinging team. They don't strike out. They are actually number one in the big leagues in terms of few strikeouts on a per bay basis, but you've also got a bunch in which they're in the bottom five of the big leagues in terms of overall home runs. Jameer Candelario, Lane Thomas, both of these guys have been able to hit a double-digit amount of bombs and combined 27 home runs between the two of them. Kiber Ruiz has nine of his own. Past that, you really don't have any power on the team now. To the credit of Lane Thomas, he has been able to hit a 300 this year, and then you've got Joey Manessis hitting a 285. When Victor Robles is out there, he's able to get on base. Problem is, he's not really been out there like Vlad this year. And then you do have the likes of A. Dominic Smith, Luis Garcia, Candelario, who I mentioned before, Stone Garrett, only between about a 260 to 270. Nationals overall are a top eight team in terms of batting average. And then for the St. Louis Cardinals, this is a top seven team in terms of home runs on a per at bat and a per game basis. You've got a lot of masters on this team. Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Gorman, and combined 32 home runs. But for Goldschmidt, always a concept for being able to get on base. Right around a 370 on base as far as the season. Gorman, over the last 35 days, hitting below a 200. That is a worry spot. Nolan Arenado, he's been able to supply 19 home runs. And after what was a really rough start of the season, if you look from May on, he's been hitting well above a 300. He has really been able to find it. And at home. Hitting a 321. Home run power is actually down at home. Only seven of his 19 home runs have come at home, but does a very good job getting on base. That's just exactly what the Cardinals need. And the Cardinals, they do average a little bit more than a home run per game at home rather than on the road. And typically for the Cardinals, a weak point of this team is the bullpen because you legitimately don't have a single pitcher in this bullpen that has thrown more than seven innings this year with an ERA that is below a 3-5. That is because Ryan Elsley, their main closer, is currently out fold. As a result, the Cardinals are 25th in terms of bullpen ERA. You've got so many guys like James Nele, Andre Pallante, Jordan Nix that all have right around about a 4 to a 4-5 ERA. Genesis Cabrera is in that fold as well, but 
Some outs of why the Washington Nationals are worse with regards to their bullpen ERA. They are dead last in the National League. With that regard, as a matter of fact, Jordan Weems has been relatively okay in this bullpen sub-3 ERA. Mason Thompson has given you a little bit of something, but Yohan Adon is out getting thrown out of the bullpen. Corey Abbott is rocking north of a 5 ERA. Amos Willingham is not the answer for this team. Not great to say the least. I do think that Jack Flaherty gives up a few walks here, but with the free-swinging nature of the Washington Nationals, I think that that is going to be playing to his advantage. This is a circumstance where I'm going to be willing to lay that run line of the St. Louis Cardinals. Did some my total at an 8.8 as well, because I do think that the Cardinals get to use Sire Gray. Cardinals have been one of the best teams at home at being able to generate runs. So, a circumstance where I'm looking at the over and the run line of the St. Louis Cardinals. 961-962 on the betting board. The Kansas City Royals are playing OC Tampa Bay Rays. Zach Eflin hopes to not be Eflin awful for the Rays. Jordan Lyles is on the bump for the Royals. Currently, the only place I'm seeing a number up is DraftKings. The total on this game is 10, over and under, both at minus 110. Rays are minus 230 on the main line, minus 150 on the run line with the Royals. They're getting them at a plus 195. And the Royals have won one start of Jordan Lyles thus far this year, and I don't think that this is going to be number two. I was willing to lay up to a minus 170 on the run line. I needed north of a plus 250 to even consider the Royals on the money line. This is just a non-backable side. Now, I recognize that Jordan Lyles' one win thus far this year did come against the Tampa Bay Rays, but the team is 1-16 in in his starts. If you were getting plus 1,000 on the Kansas City Royals, you'd still be down about $600. I mean, my goodness, they're just so bad when he's out there on the mound. Now, is Jordan Lyles a little bit unlucky this year? Yes, he's got a 642 ERA. The fielding independent is about a point lower, but he's still giving up about 1.9 home runs per nine innings. He's given up 2.8 walks per nine. Is he a little bit better at home? Yeah, but I mean, it's still a 551 ERA. He's still giving up north of two home runs per nine innings. Having to go up against the Tampa Bay Rays team in which you've got just such great balance with this team. You've gotten at least seven home runs out of 11 different players, and you've been able to get a double-digit amount of bombs now out of seven different players. And every one of these guys, since Jose Siri, who's been really leading the way with 16 home runs, they've all been able to hit at least a 265 and all but one of these guys as well, at least a 339 on base. Like Randy Rosarena giving you a 386 on base with his 16 home runs. Andy Diaz north of a 400 on base. Just such a fearsome lineup, and... For Jordan Lyles, he's backed up by a bullpen that is in the bottom five of the big leagues to start with in terms of ERA. And on top of that, now you've got yourself a situation where your best bullpen piece in Roldis Chapman, he's out on the Texas Rangers. The likes of Taylor Clark, Jose Cua, Scott Barlow, all posting up ERAs north of four. Not terrific for this team. And to play 18 innings yesterday as well. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, going into yesterday, Really the best team in the American League in terms of bullpen ERA over the last 35 days. Now, they did have to go into their bullpen quite a bit as well, but Jake Diekman, Robert Stevenson, they've been nice reclamation projects that got picked up off the scrap heap, especially Diekman, who since getting to Tampa Bay set a sub-3 ERA. And then you've got the likes of Sean Armstrong, Pete Fairbanks, Jason Adam, Colin Poucher, all being able to give you a sub-3 ERA. If you do have a little bit of trepidation with Zach Eflin, it is because he has been a vastly different pitcher on the road than he has been at home. This dates all the way back to his time with Phil Philadelphia Phillies. 9-1 with a 2.34 ERA and it since starts at home this far this season, giving up less than home run per nine innings on the road. Command is so good. Overall, he's giving up about 1.3 walks per nine innings, both home and road, but on the road, he is starting to give up more around about 1.1 to 1.2 home runs per nine innings. That ERA just jumped to a 4.65, but you're going up against the Kansas City Royals team that don't have a lot of guys that are able to move the line. 
You've got Salvador Perez and you've got Bobby Witt Jr. Both of these guys, a combined 30 home runs, 15 home runs apiece, both hitting about a 255, but they both have a sub 300 on base and nobody else on the roster that is active because Vinny Pascatino is out for the year as north of six home runs. And then you've got the likes of Michael Massey, MJ Melendez, Kyle Isabel, along with some odd Taylor. You go down the list of guys hitting at 220 or lower and it is rampant. I think that this is a Royal team that's just completely outgunned in this spot. Jordan Lyles is an unbackable side. Now, I did set my total more around a 9.2 here at the time. It's went a little bit too far because I do think that the Rays hold down a really bad Kansas City Royals offense. So I'm going to be looking at the under, but with the Rays, was willing to lay up to a minus 170 on this run line. So look at that Rays run line and the under of 10, 963, 964 on the betting board. The Texas Rangers playoffs through the Cleveland Guardians. Tanner Bibby goes for Cleveland and Marti Perez is on the bump for Texas. Texas is back to being a favorite. Anywhere between minus 125 to a minus 130. Anywhere between plus 110 to a plus 116 is your number on Cleveland. Nine to nine and a half is your total on the nine and a half. Under is minus 125. The over is plus 105 on the nine. The over is minus 115. And the under is minus 105. And this is just not enough of a plus price for me to be able to back Cleveland. I set the Texas Rangers as a minus 134 favorite. A big reason why is because Martin Perez has been significantly better when he has been at home rather than when he's been on the road. And for Martin Perez, does he deserve the record of 7-3 and three that he has? No. Overall for the year, giving up about 1.6 home runs per nine innings, rocking a 481 ERA, but significantly better in Texas. 323 home ERA, 598 ERA on the road. And the big reason why... The deep ball. He's giving up north of two home runs per nine innings on the road. Less than one home run per game at home. But also speak for Martin Perez. He does a better job with his command at home as well. On the road, he is giving up in the neighborhood about 3.7 to 3.8 walks per nine innings. When he's at home, that's more around a respectable 2.4 walks per nine innings. He goes against someone in Tanner Bibby who's been very rock solid for the Cleveland Guardians this far this season. But he does have some home and road splits. 231 home ERA, 465 ERA. On the road, giving up five out of its six home runs thus far this season in 70 innings, 30 of one of which have been pitched on the road, on the road. So that is something to note. And opponents are hitting north of 80 points higher off of them on the road. Should this iron out a little bit? Yes, but Cleveland is very much a pitcher's ballpark. And for the Guardians, they're going to be backing up Tanner Bibby with a really good bullpen. This team has been either number one or number two all season long in terms of bullpen area with the likes of Eli Morgan, Trevor Steven, Angel De Los Santos, Nick Sandlin, all being able to give you a sub-3-3 ERA. They're currently dealing with the injury to James Karinczak. That makes no difference whatsoever. Manuel Classe has been a little bit shaky at the closer spot, but all in all, they've been able to do a solid job. Texas Rangers, meanwhile, they're a bottom eight team in terms of bullpen ERA, but reinforcements have arrived with Roldis Chapman joining the full. You've got the likes of Brock Burke, Will Smith, Jose LeClerc giving you a sub-3-5 ERA, so that should be very helpful. And for the Texas Rangers, on any given day, eight out of their nine starters are hitting north of a 270 with typically the man that is not Adolis Garcia is leading the way with 24 home runs. Josh Young, 19 bombs, hitting at 275. Marcus Simeon, Nate Lowe, both hitting between about a 270 to 275. Both of these guys have a double-figure amount of homers. Corey Seager has a 420 on base with a 355 average. In any normal year, there's a case to be made, even with the games that he's missed, that he'd be a little bit more in the MVP conversation. He has been that good thus far this season. Meanwhile, you've got a Cleveland Guardians bunch that currently they're dead last in the big leagues in terms of total home runs. And they've been able to overcome this in the past. Last season, they were second worst in the big leagues in terms of total home runs. Still made the 
the playoffs because you did have plenty of guys that they found a way on base. You do need a little bit more out of the likes of Ahmed Rosario, Stephen Kwan, Will Brandon. All these guys at north of a 270 last season. They're all hitting 270 or lower thus far this season. Now Josh Naylor hitting above a 312 home runs. Jose Ramirez 14 bombs hitting about a 285 with a 360 on base. That's helping out this team. But last year you had Oscar Gonzalez up in the team out. You don't have that this season. So that's been a little bit rough. For this Cleveland Guardians bunch, I do think that Texas, they just have a little bit too much firepower. And with the way that Martin Perez pitches at home, I do think that they get the job done. I do think that this is going to be a lower scoring affair. Though Texas has been tremendous with their offense, I do think that a little bit of negative regression is coming for them. And Tanner Bibby has legitimately been a very solid starter. So I did set my talent at 8.8. Looking at the under, but I'm going to be willing to back the Rangers up to a minus 133 on this money line. 965-966 on the betting board. The Minnesota Twins at the red face off against the Oakland A's. J.P. Sears goes for the A's and Joe Ryan is on the bump for Minnesota. Minnesota is a favorite, if any, between minus 195 and minus $2. Anywhere between plus 170 and plus 182, your number on Oakland. It is a total over and under anywhere between minus 105 to minus 115. And if you're looking at that Twins run line, you're going to be laying minus 115. With the Twins set them minus 198 on the money line, was willing to go to a minus 123 on the run line. And that's where I'm going to be looking as the Oakland A's just have not been able to generate any offense whatsoever when they have been at home. As the team is hitting 20 points lower at home than any other team in the big leagues entering into Saturday, the Oakland A's were hitting 211 at home. It's actually 15 points lower because the New York Yankees have slid straight down the toilet bowl with regards to their offense. That's been interesting to take a look at, but you're just not getting any pop right now out of this Oakland A's team as nobody on this roster has been able to give you north of five home runs when they've been at home thus far this season. Brett Rooker giving you a respectable about 340 on base. And when Ryan Note is out there, Overall, for the season, north of a 375 on base, and slips some more around to 335 when he's at home. Asari Ruiz has led the league in stolen bases, but now he's on the injured list, and he's really the only guy that has seen north of 60 at-bats at home this season that's hitting above 240. So lots of issues right now for the Oakland A's, and they also have the dead last bullpen in terms of VRA this far this season. They get Richard Lovelady off the injured list, but since returning for the injured list, he has not been himself as he's been posting up north of four ERA overall for the season. Something like Dawson Pruitt giving you a four ERA. He's one of the better relievers for this team. And for Minnesota, it is rough that they've got Brock Stewart out of the fold, but Jordan Balazovic along with Johan Dern, both of these guys have been incredible in the bullpen. Both of these guys have been able to supply a sub-2 ERA, and that's a big reason why you do have the Minnesota Twins entering into the series. Number seven in the big leagues in terms of bullpen ERA. Even someone like Emilio Pagan has become a little bit more trustworthy for the team. Now, for the Minnesota Twins, what's killing them is that they and the Detroit Tigers in the very same division, they are dead last in the big leagues in terms of road batting average. But you know what should be able to get them going? A series against the Oakland A's. As you take a look at the starting lineup yesterday, only two guys entered in the game for the Minnesota Twins, sitting above a 244. Donovan Solano has been able to give you about a 383 on base. And Ryan Jeffers hitting about a 250, 360 on base. They've been able to do their part. And for the Twins, they're actually an above-average team with regards to home runs. But all five of their guys that have been able to give you a double-figure amount of homers entered into yesterday hitting at 220 or lower. Carlos Correa, Michael A. Taylor, Joey Gallo, Byron Bucks, and Max Kepler. So that's a little bit of a problem. Nobody giving you north of a really 303 on base. And the Royce Lewis injury, it is hurting them quite a bit. And I will say, for J.P. Sears, he has been able to do a really nice job at home as... For J.P. Sears, he really has been one of the lone bright spots for the Oakland A's, but he still does give up quite a bit of hard contact 
390-70 ERA compared to a 488 fielding independent. That's pretty well up in strikeout numbers, though, this far this season. Right around 8.4 strikeouts per nine innings. Comes in in teeter-totterish form as in his last five starts. He's given up two runs or fewer in three of them. He's given up four-plus runs in the other two. Now, for J.P. Sears' ballpark suits what he's looking to do very well because it's a little bit more of a pitcher's ballpark, though. Just play a little bit more hitter-friendly during the daytime, and he has given up nine home runs and 39 innings in Oakland, and if you're giving up those sorts of home runs in Oakland, you certainly are giving up a lot of hard contact, though. All in all, he's giving up an opponent's batting average of a 220, which I do find to be very fascinating, to say the least, as well, but I do think that Joe Ryan certainly going to be able to outduel him for Ryan. He's struggled a little bit on the road with a 414 ERA, and he himself has given up a lot of her contact, giving up about 1.4 home runs per nine innings, but he's done a really good job being able to control the walks. He's only giving up about 1.5 to 1.6 walks per nine innings, getting north of 10 strikeouts per nine innings. So I do think that this is going to be a bit of the lower scoring affair. I did set my total at 7.7. I think that Sears gives a relatively solid start, but I do think that the Twins are able to get to him, and I think that this Oakland A's offense has not generated anything at home all season long. That continues. Looking to lay up to about a minus 122 on that Twins run line to go along with the 8 under. 967, 968 on the bang board. The Detroit Tigers hit the road. They're facing off against the Seattle Mariners. Bryce Miller goes for Seattle, and Reese Olsen is on the bump for Detroit. Detroit is an underdog. You're going to be getting them between plus 165 to plus 170, between minus 183 to minus 195 is your number on Seattle. 7.5 to 8 is the total on the 8. Under is minus 125. The over is plus 105 on the 7.5. Over is minus 120, and the under is even. I needed at least a plus 180 to take a shot here on the Detroit Tigers. If you're taking a look at the run line, by the way, you're going to be finding Seattle laying a run and a half, getting anywhere between about a plus 105 to a plus 110. I do need at least a plus 108 to take a shot there, but seeing that plus 110, I'm going to be willing to dive in. For Bryce Miller, he's been able to do a supreme job with his command. Now, Bryce Miller is going to be making his first start since the end part of June. He spent a little bit of time on the injured list, but I do think that going up against the Detroit Tigers for his first start, that's a good way to be getting greeted as the Detroit Tigers bottom two in the big leagues in terms of road batting average. For Miller, he's been rock solid all season long at home, giving up about 1.1 home runs per nine innings at home. I talk about the command. He's only been giving up about 1.9 to two walks per nine innings. Also, still while being able to get in after strikeouts per nine innings. Certainly did have a little bit of a rougher go of it after his first few starts because if you take a look at what he did in his first five starts of his career, he gave up four runs. There was only downward to go from there, but did go on the injured list having given up three runs or fewer in each of his previous four starts. So was able to stem the tide there. And for Reese Olsen, he sort of went from being a starter to being a long guy back to being a starter. So you do have to wonder how long he's going to be able to go in this game. But last five appearances overall for Olsen, he's looked good. He's went 20 innings across those five appearances, only three of which have been starts. He has been able to control the just overall contact, giving up an opponent's batting average of about a 203. It's a 270 overall ERA in that time span. And for Olsen, I do think that this is another one of those young guys that could be able to develop for the Detroit Tigers, but do have a few trepidations with him as well because he is someone that is giving up a little bit of a home run per nine innings. His strikeout numbers are good, but he's also went up against the Royals quite a bit. He faced off against the Minnesota Twins in one of his recent outings as well. The Oakland A's too, so he's had a little bit of a favorable schedule, but the Seattle Mariners, certainly not a team that necessarily matches. You do have a pair of guys in Teoscar Hernandez, 
Couple with Julio Rodriguez, who entered into yesterday. Both thing in that pocket, about a 245 to 255. Combined 28 home runs. Cal Raleigh and Eugenio Suarez, Jared Kelnick, all have been able to hit for 11 home runs as far as the season with Suarez and Cal Raleigh. Both hitting below a 235. Kelnick for the year is sitting at 250, but over the last 40 days, he's sitting right around the Mendoza line of 200, and I believe that he's got one home run in the last 35 days. That has not been terrific. And you've got guys like a A.J. Pollock, Colton Wong, Taylor Trammell that just have not been able to move the line whatsoever. The Mariners currently in the bottom six in the big leagues. In terms of batting average, mentioned it with the Tigers. This has been one of the most anemic offenses in all of baseball. You've got two guys with north of nine home runs as far as the season. Spencer Torkelson, Jake Rogers, combined 23 home runs. Both of these guys sitting below a 230 entering into yesterday. Javi Baez, 257 on base at a 222 batting average without a lot of power. He's about as useful as a poopy flavored lollipop. It's not good. Nick Maynard has given you nothing whatsoever as well. Eric Haas is hitting about a 205. Now, the good news is Riley Green is back to full. 360 on base, hitting nearly a 300. Not a ton of pop, but he's starting to give you a little bit of something. And for the Tigers, this bullpen is respectable. They're about league average in terms of bullpen ERA. It would be a little bit better if it weren't for some of the long guys that they've trotted out there and just some of the pitching injuries that they've dealt with with the rotation with the likes of Tariq Scubo, Eduardo Rodriguez, and company as you've had the likes of Jason Foley, Jose Cicerano, Tyler Holton give you a sub-3-4 ERA. And then for the Seattle Mariners, they're in the top 10 in terms of their bullpen ERA as well as Ty Adcock. Entered into the weekend, still having yet to give up a run throughout his career. Taylor Saucedo, Andres Munoz, they've been able to give you a sub-3 ERA. Gabe Spire has seen things spiral out of control a little bit. Matt Fest says someone's going to be relied upon for innings, but all in all, do like the way that the Mariners have been able to deliver in the bullpen. So I do think that this is going to be an interesting circumstance. Personally, I would rather have a 7.5 over rather than an 8 under because it is a case where Miller is coming off of the injured list. So I do think that there might be some hiccups along the way. And I do think that the Mariners are going to be able to get to Reese Olsen in this spot. So I'm going to be willing to take the Mariners at a plus 1.8 or better on the run line. And at a 7.5 or less, going to be taking a look at the over. 969-970 on the bang board. The LA Angels, they play us to the Houston Astros. Christian Javier is on the bump for Houston. And Tyler Anderson is on the bump for the Angels. Angels are an underdog of between plus 120 to a plus 125, between minus 133 to minus 145, your number on Houston. Nine is the total, over and under, anywhere between even money and uh, minus 120. So, want to shop around accordingly there. And for the Astros, I did set them at a minus 138 on the money line. Now, Christian Javier does have some concerns. The velocity has been a little bit all over the place, and just from talking to people at they just, in general, know pitching. They've been looking at this and just in watching a little bit of film on Christian Javier since this was being mentioned as well. I went back and taking a look at just the general movement on his pitches, and it's not quite the same as it was last season, which is why he did enter into the All-Star break in really bad form. I've been given up four-plus runs in four out of his last five starts after a really good start to the season, which is why his ERA is now at a 434. I do think that someone that really needed the All-Star break was someone like Javier, who's actually been better with regards to his command. He's down to about two and a half walks per nine innings, but the swing and miss stuff, in which was 11.7 strikeouts per nine innings last year, that's down. Down to about 8.1 strikeouts per nine innings. Good news for him, though, is that the LA Angels are completely banged up right now. You've got Shoei Otani in fold, who's been able to give you 32 home runs. He's hitting a 300. That's terrific, but Taylor Ward has been a little bit up and down. He's been hitting for about a 245-250 along Zach Neto. I do give a little bit of credit to the fact that they picked up Mike Moustakis along with Eduardo Escobar a few weeks ago. 
That gives them just guys that are able to get on base in general. So that helps. And Hunter Renfro, hitting about a 250, 15 home runs. That's solid. But when you're missing Anthony Rendon, Brendan Drury, couple with Mike Trout, all guys are giving you a double-figure amount of homers. All guys are able to get on base. That's relatively rough. And then for Houston, they're still dealing with the Jordan Alvarez injury. But Kyle Tucker has really been able to pick it up. He's been... A little bit over the place this season, but over the last three days, entered into yesterday with a 427 on base. Not necessarily a ton of thumping power with four home runs, but he's really been able to do a good job with more of that double sort of power. You've got Jeremy Pena, Yanir Diaz, both with 10 home runs. You need Pena to be able to step it up as he and Alex Bregman, both hitting between about a 235 to 245. Bregman draws some walks, but been a little bit of a disappointing season for him, but someone like a Mauricio Dubon throwing their Corey Jokes, both hitting about a 275 to 285. That has been a nice find for the Houston Astros, and the Astros just flat out have the Angels outgunned in terms of their bullpen. Astros, a top six bullpen in terms of ERA with a big three. Brian Abreu, Phil Maton, Hector Neris. Along with Ryan Presley, I'll give it a big four because they all have a sub-270 ERA. You've been having the likes of Seth Martinez, Ryan Stanek, and Rafael Montero, then as they come through, but those guys have been terrific in them for the LA Angels. Reinforcements are here as Matt Moore, who's been able to give you a sub-2 ERA. He's back. Carlos Estevez has been tremendous in this bullpen, along with the likes of Jacob Webb, Jose Soriano. They've been able to give you a sub-3-5 ERA. Angels overall for the season have been right around a league average bullpen, but they do have some nice pieces in this bullpen. I do think that that's going to keep things a little bit lower scoring, despite the fact that you do have Tyler Anderson on the mound, and Tyler Anderson has not been terrific. A 4 and 2 record, very misleading. 525 ERA. It's been a tad bit better at home because he has been giving up a little bit less than home run per nine innings. But for Anderson, what was very key for him last season, he gave up about 1.7 walks per nine innings. He's giving up about 3.9 to 4 walks per nine innings. He's not a strikeout guy. He only gives you about 7.2 strikeouts per nine innings. Just not great to say the least. He's been able to guide the Angels to victory in a lot of his starts to his credit, but that was one you had on the fold. Mike Trout, Anthony Rendon, guys like this. As a matter of fact, there was a nice 7-1 and run that they had on him for the beginning of the month of May all the way through the back half of June. They've now lost three straight of his starts ever since the injuries have started to pile up, and I think that this is going to be number four. I did set the Astros minus 138 on the money line. I do think that the All-Star break did Christian Javier a little bit of good. And when it comes to Soto, I did set it at an 8.8 with all the ailments that the Angels are going through, and the Astros not necessarily being too terrific on offense themselves. Looking at the under and looking at the Astros on the money line, 971-972 on the betting board. The Atlanta Braves play as the Chicago White Sox. Don't cease goes for the Sox. Kobe Allard is on the bump for Atlanta. Atlanta is a minus 158 to a minus 165 favorite between plus 140 and plus 150 year number on the White Sox. Nine and a half is the total. Under is minus 120. The over is even. With the White Sox being able to get north of a plus 145 is an offer I just simply can't refuse. I recognize that this Atlanta Braves team is really awesome with their offense, but you're making Kobe Allard a more, more than minus 160 favorite against Dylan Cease. I mean, there's just a point of no return, and I think we've reached it with the Atlanta Braves. Kobe Allard should not be this big of a favorite against Dylan Cease under darn near any circumstance. With Allard, he's made three total appearances this year. Posting up a 422 year. The strikeout numbers appear to be up a little bit. You take a look at what he was able to do at the minor league level at Gwinnett this season. It's a small sample size of two starts, but he was showing some solid swing and miss stuff there. But 
We've seen Kobe Allard at the big league bubble, and he's got a career 599 ERA. Actually, began his career with the Atlanta Braves, still only 25 years old, which I feel like he's much older than 25 years old, but he gives up a lot of our contact, has never really been tremendous with regards to command, and in the just appearances I've seen from him thus far this season, he just doesn't warrant this sort of a price. Meanwhile, for Dylan Cease, he had a brutal start to the season, but it looks like he's starting to pick it up once again. He did have that rough start going into the all-star break against the St. Louis Cardinals, where he gave up five runs, but prior to that, had a string of six straight starts in which he went at least five and a third innings, gave up three runs or fewer in every one of them for Dylan Cease. The strikeout numbers, they are back in full force. He's been able to give you north of 10 and a half strikeouts. But has been a little bit more rough on the road with a 460 road area, but he's not giving up a lot of home runs. He's giving up less than home run per nine innings on the road. On the road, he's giving up about three walks per nine innings, which if he's able to do that, he's going to be just fine because what really dooms Dylan Cease is the walks because he's backed up by a bullpen that just stinks. You've got Keenan Middleton, Gregory Santos, who are able to give you a sub-3 ERA, and then a whole bunch of junk, as the White Sox are currently 26th in the big leagues in terms of bullpen ERA, with the likes of Aaron Bummer and company out there. Not so terrific. Kendall Graven has been relatively solid, but you're right now having Liam Hendricks along Garrett Crochet on the injured list. Far from ideal. Going up against an Atlanta Braves bullpen that they really have picked it up. Over the last 35 days, top bullpen in the National League in terms of ERA. Overall for the season, top bullpen in the National League in terms of ERA. Kirby Yates being able to get his ERA down to about a 3-3 along Colin McHugh. Rocio Iglesias took him a little bit of time to come off of injury. He's been tremendous over the last month and a half or so as well. Ben Heller has been a nice find for this bunch as well. They've done a good job of being able to put together some nice bullpen pieces. And then we talk about this Atlanta Braves lineup. You've got Matt Olson with 30-plus home runs as far this season. Then Ozzie Albies, Ronald Acuna Jr. are both north of 20 with Acuna Jr. Looking to become the next member of the 40-40 club as he's already got 42 stolen bases. He's hitting for a 400 in terms of his on-base. Sean Murphy, he's getting a home run every about 13 at-bats with a 400 on-base. That's rough to go up against him for the Chicago White Sox. One thing that this team does not have is discipline. Fewest walks on a per-at-bat basis in the big leagues, but you've got Luis Robert who's been able to pound out 26 home runs. He dealt with a little bit of an injury in the home run derby. We'll see if that's affecting him moving forward, but he should be in the fold for this game. Now, a problem that you do have with the White Sox is among players with at least 70 at-bats this far this season, the only player with north of a 330 on base going into yesterday, Andrew Benatendi. He's hitting a 280, which is solid in. For Robert, along with Eloy Menes, they're both hitting about a 270 as well. They don't necessarily take a lot of walks. Jake Berger, 19 home runs, but 274 on base. That needs a little bit of work, and Tim Anderson has been a disaster, hitting about a 227, and I recognize that this White Sox team is a little bit rough, to say the least, but Colby Allard being a north of minus 160 favorite, I can get on board with that. I do think that Dylan Cease is going to have success in this spot. I set my total at an 8.8. This is a circumstance where I'm going to be willing to take a look at the under, and I am also going to be willing to ride with the money line of the Chicago White Sox. 973, 974 on the betting board. It is the Miami Marlins, and they are on the road. They're facing off against the Baltimore Orioles. We know that for the Orioles, it is going to be Kyle Bradish, and it is good to be determined for the fish, which is why this game is presently off the board. I looked on fan graphs, and Fangraphs is currently projecting as if we are going to be getting Ace Lizardo. So that's what I base this off of. If we don't get Ace Lizardo, this is going to be updated. And if we get like Brian Hoying and said, that will probably be north of a 40 cent differential. So you do want to note that there is quite a bit of volatility as to which starter we are going to be getting. But assuming we get Bradish versus Lizardo, I did set the Orioles at as a minus 132 money line favorite. And maybe my total to wear an eight or less. Going to be taking a look at the over eight and a half prior to the under. Not going to be going too far 
on Lazardo because that is very much speculation at this point. But with Bradish, this guy comes in looking really awesome. Two runs or fewer surrendered in each out of his last five starts. Three runs or fewer surrendered in each out of his last eight starts. He has really been able to reduce hard contact, giving up three home runs over the course of his last eight starts. For Bradish, it's just a matter of time before he can put things together, and he's most comfortable at home. 281 ERA at home. Just a 2-3 record at home, but he's giving up about a home run per nine innings. Has really reduced the walks as well. Last year, he was giving up right around three and a half walks per nine innings. That's more around two and a half walks for nine innings this year. Not like some sort of a strikeout mass or anything like that, but doing a solid job. Going up against the Marlins team, in which it's a little bit of a top-heavy lineup. Luis Arias has been tremendous at being able to get on base, hitting a 380 going into Saturday. We all know what he's capable of. And then you've got Ori Soler, right around about a 345 to a 350 on base, 20-plus home runs thus far this season. Nobody else on the roster really has north of 11 home runs this season. You do have plenty of guys that they get on base. Jesus Sanchez, Brian De La Cruz, couple with Yoli Gurriel, in between about a 260 to 275. Joey Wendell has been able to hit well above a 300 of the last 35 days as well, along with Garrett Cooper. But Garrett Cooper not in the lineup yesterday. And I know that Dane Myers had a little bit of a tough read on a ball yesterday, but he has been very good in center field, being able to get on base as well. But not really a lot of pop outside of Ore Solaire. And then for the Baltimore Orioles, you're just one of the classic Bill Belichick do your job sort of offenses. You don't necessarily have that one star study guy. Anthony Santander has been able to give you right around 15 to 16 home runs, hanging right around at 265. But you've got a hole as greater than some of its parts seem with most of these guys having right around like 10 to 12 home runs. Not a ton, but at the same time, they're doing just enough as the team entered into Saturday, sixth in the league in terms of runs per game, actually right around about 4.4 runs per game at home compared to 5.6 on the road. Shows how much the ballpark dimensions at Camden Yards have turned things around, but Austin A's hitting well above a 300. Adley Rushman, 375 on base. He, along with Adam Frazier, Ryan Mountcastle, Gunnar Henderson, all between 11 and 13 home runs. And for Mountcastle, he missed quite a bit of time due to injury. Him being back in the fold, that's big. You need more out of Jorge Mateo. He's been able to give you 22 stolen bases, but doesn't do you a lot of good if you can't get on base to be able to steal those bases. But Aaron X has been able to pick up the slack ever since he's gotten into town as well. So a very interesting spot with a Orioles bullpen that is a little bit top-heavy because you've got Phoenix Batista, Yenir Cano, both of these guys, a sub-175 ERA. Can I say, you've got Danny Colombe who's been able to give you a sub-3 ERA, but everyone like Brian Baker, Mike Bauman, they need to pick it up a little bit. And then for the Miami Marlins, you do have quite a few guys like Stephen O'Kurt, A.J. Puck, who have been relatively solid in the bullpen, but Puck's ERA that's approaching right around four right now. JT Chirkwa has been a little bit all over the place as well. And if you do get Asus Lizardo, he has had some pretty demonstrative home and road splits. And if you don't get Asus Lizardo, probably a rough circumstance. Like I said, with Asus Lizardo in there, I'd be willing to take a plus 133 or higher with the Marlins on them. If Kyle Bradish versus Asus Lizardo does happen, minus 131 or less. Looking at the Orioles' money line with eight or less being a play on the over, eight and a half higher to the under. And get something like a Brian Owing. Someone of that nature, this probably moves by, I would say, about 40 cents. And if you get Brian Hoying, it becomes a spot where 8.5 or less, looking at the over 9 or higher to the under. 975, 976 on the betting board. It is the Toronto Blue Jays, and they're going to be playing those years. And the Diamondbacks, Yusei Kikuchi, goes for the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. And Tommy Henry is on the bump for Arizona. 9.5 is the total. Unders between minus 115 to a minus 120. Overs between even and minus 105. Toronto's between a minus 152 to a minus 165 favorite. Between plus 138 to plus 145, your number on Arizona. 
I did set the Blue Jays at a minus 177, and if you're taking a look at that run line, you're getting it at a plus 120. I do think that we are going to be seeing quite a few runs in this game. I was going to take a plus 105 or higher with this Blue Jays run line, so going to be taking a look there. When it comes to Yusei Kikuchi, he's been giving up the deep ball this year, which is why his ERA is a 424, but his fielding independent is more around a 520, but he has done a better job of being able to reduce the walks. Last year, 5.2 walks per nine innings, 2.6 thus far this season. That's the lowest in his big league career. Now, means to do without the home runs being given up, but he is getting right around nine strikeouts per nine innings. He has given up two runs or fewer in three out of his last five starts, so there's positives with him, and then there's very clear negatives. Now, with the Arizona Diamondbacks, I do think that this is an offense that is going to start to slow down a little bit. If you took a look at the expected slugging percentage versus the actual slugging percentage in the first half of the season, the Diamondbacks were the biggest overachievers, and I think we are starting to see regression come in. You've got a very good quartet here with Quetel Marte, Lourdes Gurriel, Corbin Carroll, along with Christian Walker. Uh, between 15 and 18 home runs as far as the season, going for at least a 259 with at least a 318 on base. So that's what you like to see. Corbin Carroll, 26 stolen bases. And you've got Geraldo Perdomo, Jake McCarthy. These are guys that are able to swipe some bags as well. And for Perdomo, about a 382 on base. But this is a bunch that, towards the bottom of the fold, they've been mixing and matching with guys like Alec Thomas, Evan Longoria, guys like this. And it has been a little bit of Peter Totterish. And for the Blue Jays, this offense, it appears to be finding it with Flagger Jr. He's coming off of the home run derby, and hey, he's been able to get a home run in one of his first two games, which is something that you do like to see. Boba Shett, he's up to 16 home runs, hitting right around about a 315, and then got plenty of guys they're able to get on base. As a matter of fact, for this Blue Jays team, each other top six hitters in the lineup yesterday, at least a 335 on base. George Springer's been able to give you a double figure amount of homers, along with Matt Chapman, both of these guys, between a 265 to a 275 average, both between 12 and 13 home runs. Kevin Kiermeyer has been able to give you about a 330 on base, with Merrifield sitting about a 290. So, all in all, very well rounded Toronto Blue Jays lineup. And for the Blue Jays, a top seven team in terms of bullpen ERA. You've had Eric Swanson, Tim Meza be very good for this bunch. Sub-3 ERA out of both of them. I've always been a Jay Jackson guy. Whenever he's gotten innings for the team, he's been able to do a relatively solid job. And then you do have Joe Romano, who's been able to do a nice job of being able to shut it down. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, league average bullpen ERA. You've got a few guys that I think are noteworthy, as you've got the likes of Andrew Chafin, Kyle Nelson being able to give you a sub-3 ERA, and then Scott McGough, who they've been using more at the closer spot, has been able to post up right around about a 275 as well. When you get into someone like a Jose Ruiz, Austin Adams, that's where things can go off the rails, but I just really don't have a lot of faith in Tommy Henry. I was talking about the fielding independent being higher for Yusei Kikuchi than his ERA. That is certainly the case for our good friend and Mr. Tommy Henry, who's just not getting a lot of swings and misses right now. He's up right around 6.2 strikeouts per nine innings, giving up three and a half walks per nine innings, giving up a home run and a half per nine innings, 525 fielding independent, 375 ERA, been much worse on the road with a 473 ERA, giving up on the road north of 2.2 home runs per nine innings. Now, recently, he's been able to find it quite a bit more. Last four starts, he has given up four total runs. I think that this is built a little bit on sand. Is he progressing as a pitcher? Absolutely. I do think that he is, but... Same time as well, I do think that he's been a little bit fortunate recently, and this run that the Diamondbacks have been on going 6-1 and one in his last seven starts, I think that that comes to an end right here, as I do think that the Blue Jays get to him. So my total north of a 9.5 set it at 9.7, so looking at the over and looking at the Blue Jays on the run line, laying a run and a half. 9.77, 9.78 on the bank board, the Chicago Cubs playoffs to the Boston Red Sox. Cutter Crawford goes for the Sox, and Justin Steele, the man of steel, is on the bump for the Cubs. 
We don't have any uh, totals up on this game because that is going to be based on the regularly field win, but we do have money lines as for the Chicago Cubs. They're between a minus 144 to a minus 150 favorite. Between plus 130 and plus 132 is your number on the uh, Boston Red Sox. And if you're looking at the win situation in this one, it is a big reason why. Did set my total in an 8.3 where eight or less looking at the over and after higher to the under. It's going to be blowing in towards the beginning part of the game and then blowing out a little bit later on. So it's going to be a little bit all over the place. Should not get north of about eight or so miles per hour. So I don't think that it's going to be playing a massive factor, but something that has been factored into my handicap for the Cubs. I did set them at a minus 156 on the money line. Here at the right around minus 140, minus 150, I'd be willing to lay it. I don't have any run line prices available to me because, well, in order to have a run line price, you actually need a total up there because, as you can tell, it's easier to win by multiple runs when there is a lot of runs expected as opposed to if it's going to be a lower scoring game. But for Carter Crawford, I actually do think that there's quite a bit of upside with him. He's only giving up about two blocks per nine innings. Fielding independent is on par with his 411 ERA. A lot of that due to the fact that he's given up a home run and a half per nine innings. But feels like he's starting to turn a corner a little bit. Red Sox have gone three and one in his last four starts and he's given up three earned runs or fewer in three of those starts as well. So on all, I do think that he's doing a pretty solid job there. But I just can't go against Justin Steele, who might not be like some sort of a strikeout master or anything like that, but Justin Steele last year was giving up north of three and a half walks per nine innings. He has really been able to scale that back to just over two walks per nine innings. He has been one of the most improved pitchers in all of baseball. His ERA far better at home than it is on the road as well. And under the radar for the Chicago Cubs, how about how good this bullpen has been recently over the last 35 days? The Chicago Cubs own the number two bullpen ERA in the National League. Only the Atlanta Braves have been a bit better as guys like a Michael Fulmer, Julian Merriweather, that they were not good to say the least begin the season. Maybe they'll pick it up. Adbear Alzale has been able to give you a sub three ERA all season long. Now, the one thing that is holding back the Chicago Cubs is that they could use a little bit more power in the lineup. You've got Patrick Wisdom and Christopher Morrell. Both have been able to give you 15 home runs this far this season. And Cody Bellinger, you missed a little bit of time due to injury. It's making up for lost time. Now, hitting above three, 12 home runs this far this season, but got a lot of guys with like six, seven, eight home runs. But you also do have with the Cubs a team that's in the top 10 in terms of batting average and a lot of guys in general just moving the line. I was mentioning Morel, he, Nick Madrigal, Miguel Amaya, Nico Horner, all in between about a 270 to 280. That's very beneficial. Ian App is not hitting for the world's greatest average, but he's able to give you a 375 on base. We've seen Mike Talkman have a little bit of a rough go of it recently, but C.A. Suzuki, Dansby Swanson, they do a good job of being able to find a way on as well. And we've got a Boston Red Sox lineup that has the biggest home and road splits of any team in the big leagues for Boston. They are hitting right around about a 290 at home. That's the top mark in the big leagues. That average falls by about 55 points on the road, averaging 5.6 runs per game at home entering into Saturday, compared to just 4.3 runs per game on the road. So Mike and Alex Verdugo hitting 80 points lower when he is on the road rather than when he is at home. That's an issue. Now, for Rafael Devers, he's actually having a lot of his home run power coming on the road. Out of his 22 home runs, 14 of them have come on the road, but saying a 245 on the road compared to a 270 at home, very much a case in which we are finding with a lot of these guys. Masataki Yoshida has been a relative constant home to road, but past that, guys like a Jaron Duran and company, they do see a little bit of fall off on the road now. For the Boston Red Sox top 10 team in terms of bullpen ERA over the last 30 days as well, Josh Winkowski, a couple with Chris Martin, Brandon Bernardino being able to give you a sub-3 ERA. 
and it's very beneficial, but at the same time as well, I do have a little bit of trepidation with this bullpen still, even with Kenley Jansen out there, because Kenley Jansen said his issues in the past, and just going up against Justin Seal, I think that the man of Seal, he is going to be able to win out in this spot, but I'm willing to lay up to about a minus 155 on the Cubs on the money line, like I said, on a run line, I would need at least a plus 130 to be able to dive in there, we will see on that in the AM as 8 or less looking at the over 8.5 higher to the under, and we're going things up with 979.980 on the betting board. The uh, Colorado Rockies playoffs for the New York Yankees. Garrett Cole is going to be going for the Yankees, and Chase Anderson is on the bump for Colorado. 11 is your total over and under, anywhere between minus 105 to a minus 115. Yankees are between minus 205 to minus 230 favorites, between a plus 185 and plus 195. Your number on Colorado, if you're looking at this Yankees run line, finding it anywhere between minus 135 to a minus 145, and I set Chase Anderson as a plus 254 underdog. I was willing to go up to a minus 170 on this Yankees run line. I think that exactly what the New York Yankees needed was a Joseph Connor Siebel getting six runs in the first two innings of the game yesterday. So that's terrific. And for Chase Anderson, this guy has been banged around like a pinata. In his last four starts, he has not made it out of the fourth inning. He has given up seven, nine, six, and five runs. Yeah, that's not too terrific. And yeah, it's not good with regards to the Colorado Rockies bullpen. One that did have to pitch quite a few innings yesterday, ever since Brent Suter's been out of the fold. It's been a rough situation with this bullpen, as Justin Lawrence, Matt Cook, they've been good in the bullpen, and Daniel Barta, sub-3-5 ERA, but Pierce Johnson is about as untrustworthy of a late-inning guy as it gets. Fernando Abad, I think that he's going to be very Abad down the stretch for the team as well. Gavin Hallwell, not someone I have a lot of faith in. And for the New York Yankees, it's the opposite with their bullpen. Tommy Canley entered it in yesterday, not giving up a single run all season long. Michael King, Wandy Peralta, Ian Hamilton, Clay Holmes, all being able to give you a sub-3-2 ERA. Very beneficial line for the Yankees. Is this still a lineup that I've got my question marks with? Absolutely, but this is a team that's still able to hit bombs. As you've had John Carlos and Josh Donaldson be able to give you homers. Now, both of these guys are in below a 220, but they're able to give you home runs. Anthony Volpe. It's also hitting right around about a 215, but he's been able to give you a double figure amount of formers. Glaber Torres, right around a 330 on base. Anthony Rizzo has last hit a home run when dinosaurs roam the earth, so that has not been too terrific. But Harrison Bader has been able to find a way to be able to move the line. You need to get a little bit more out of DJ LeMayu. He, Kyle Gashioka, hitting between about a 232, 235, but it's not like the Rockies have been laying the world on fire with their offense either. They haven't been able to get Chris Bryant along CJ Chrome back in the fold. Neither of these guys have really done anything. As far as the season, Jerick's and Profar he had that long on base streak, but only about a 325 on base. As far as the season, Ryan McMahon is your lone guy on this roster that has been able to give you north of 10 home runs, 14 bombs, hitting about a 255. That good production out of Randall Gritchick whenever he's been out there. He, Nolan Jones, Elias Diaz, hitting above a 270. That's a little bit beneficial, but the Rockies are in the bottom five of the big leagues in terms of just home runs per game, and now they have to go up against Garrett Cole, who he is a little bit prone throughout his career to giving up the deep ball, but all in all, he's been able to do a very good job of being able to mitigate that. Giving up about 0.9 home runs per nine innings this far this season on the road to 274 year right now. Coors Field is a whole different ball of wax, but I think that you should be able to go to Coors Field, 
take on a Colorado Rockies team that has one of the worst lineups in the big leagues and be able to tame them. And I think that Chase Anderson is going to be giving up a whole bunch of runs in this ordeal. I did something I told 11.6 because I think that the Yankees just pound the tar out of Chase Anderson. So taking a look at the over. I'm with the Yankees willing to lay the run line with them. And that will wrap things up for the Sunday edition of the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the Visa Family and Podcast. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, the Baseball Betting Show, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at tweeted underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters M, they mean does not matter, so as per usual, please send these into the timeline and the other way. That's fine, an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you are able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Big thanks to Matt Williams of the Game Day MLB for joining me in the last segment. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season, and that means I'll be coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 